0: Good evening,
1: Sports Zodians. How's everybody doing out there tonight? I am Mike Egly I am your host for this. Is Sports Zone recording with you live like we do each and every week here via the I ninety five Sports and Entertainment. Radio Network, we got a good show for you tonight. We will be joined by David Hastings and Eric Tressler in a matter of moments. May get a little cameo appearance from uh Eric Pfeiffer, maybe Larry Spellrose tonight. We do got a lot to talk about tonight. We got some football news to talk about. Obviously, the Deshaun Watson decision over his suspension came in Monday morning. Uh... God damn it. Earlier uh, Tuesday, the NFL released punishment for Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, over the accusations that were levied against him as a result of Brian Flores earlier in the offseason, tampering charges. So I'm sure we will get into all that. We have NFL training camps opening up. So we have all that. But... We're going to start the show off tonight with what went down over the last 36 hours in terms of the Major League Baseball trade deadline, which was at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Tuesday. And we had a lot of action. We had a lot of action over the last 36 hours. We saw Juan Soto get traded from the Washington Nationals to the San Diego Padres along with Josh Bell for a collection of prospects and younger players headlined by Mackenzie Gore, C.J. Abrams, Uh, three other prospects, two of which were considered among the top three in the Padres organization by MLB Pipeline. The third one was number 14 on their list, Luke Voigt, winds up going from the Padres to the Nationals in this after originally it was supposed to be Eric Hosmer who refused to waive his no-trade clause to go along with this, which, hey, you know, you sign a player to a no-trade clause, um, you're giving him the power to do that. So he didn't do anything wrong. Hosmer would have, of course, dealt to the Boston Red Sox mere hours after he turned that down. So that was, that was probably the biggest deal uh, from the trade deadline. But if you look across the landscape of baseball, just about every, every major contender for a World Series wound up getting better. Before I talk about my, my team that I usually talk about here, Eric Tressler is here tonight. I'd like to welcome him in. Eric, how you doing? I'm doing good. I think you're
2: gonna have to f- fill me in on a little of this late trade talk because I'm not sure what happened. I think I heard something that the Yankees traded Montgomery. They did. Um, I I, I, feel tell like you I told you that. Stuff to say. Yeah, yeah, but I feel like I missed some stuff, so I'm gonna need to, like I don't know who they gave up. I don't know anything right now.
1: Well, I, I'm gonna be honest. I don't think that was necessarily a bad trade. I think you guys actually made out pretty good. But if you will allow me, let me get out what I would like to get out first. Because I, yeah, you're coming in just as I basically gave a little preamble. So here's the deal. Basically, if you look across the landscape of baseball, there's about six or seven teams that you can legitimately say are legitimate World Series contenders. And just about every one of them got better over the course of the last 36 hours, the Yankees, Got Frankie Montas yesterday from the Oakland A's, which I thought was a really good move. Gave up three or four prospects who were highly rated in your organization. They were all very young, though, so we're probably not going to hear from them for a couple of years. You guys made out good. Obviously, you guys got Andrew Benintendi last week. Uh, A significant upgrade for you guys, so you guys did good there. With Frankie Montas, you also got Oakland's closer, Luce Ravino. You also got another reliever from the Chicago Cubs by the name of Scott Efrost, And then our last second move, you guys did trade Jordan Montgomery to the St. Louis Cardinals for center fielder, Harrison Bader. Not a great offensive player, but is a solid defensive player. So I know Eric's big concern was you got holes in the lineup in the names of Aaron Hicks and Joey Gallo. Well, you eliminated one of those holes because Joey Gallo was traded to the Los Angeles Dodgers for a double-A pitcher. So you guys made out really good there. The Toronto Blue Jays made a last-minute acquisition. They picked up second baseman Whit Merrifield from the Kansas City Royals for two prospects. I would tell you that the Minnesota Twins and Seattle Mariners got better, but let's be honest, nobody's going to take them seriously until the Mariners actually make the playoffs so the Minnesota Twins can actually beat the Yankees in a postseason game. So we'll skip that. Houston Astros improved by getting catcher Christian Vasquez and designated hitter first baseman type Trey Mancini from the Red Sox and Baltimore Orioles, the Atlanta Braves with the last-second acquisition got closer Rafael Iglesias from the Anaheim, uh, excuse me, Los Angeles Angels. They also got starter Jacob uh from the Houston Astros in exchange for reliever Will Smith. The Cardinals, as I said, they did improve their starting pitching depth with Montgomery. They also got Jose Quintanilla. From the Pittsburgh Pirates, I believe they got a reliever in there. The San Diego Padres were the talk of the day, of course, because they had Juan Soto, Josh Bell. They get Brandon Drury. I think we all know he's going to fall off now that he's on a real baseball team, but we've both seen enough out of him. He's a decent player, so that was a decent move. And now we come to the New York Mets. Now we come to the New York Mets, and I've been saying for months, The Mets needed a big bat, possibly an upgraded catcher, and two relief pitchers. And over the course of the last week, the Mets, as we talked about on this show here, they got Daniel Vogelbosch from the Pittsburgh Pirates, traded away a relief pitcher by the name of um, Colin Holderman, who I was pretty high of. So I wasn't overly crazy about that. Vogelbosch has been okay so far. They traded over the weekend for Taylor Naquin, who is a pretty decent fourth outfielder, definitely an upgrade over what they had in Travis Jankowski, who hadn't had a hit since May. And then we come to today, and they see a couple of their main targets go off the board. Obviously, the Soto deal, that was a pipe dream. I would have loved it to have happened, but that's okay because pipe dreams are just that. Pipe dreams. Josh Bell goes in that. So the thought is maybe we can pull out a J.D. Martinez. Maybe we can get a catcher in Wilson Contreras. David Robertson was someone that we wanted because obviously, again, you need two relief pitchers because your only left-handed relief pitcher is Jolie Rodriguez and your righty pitchers. You know They've been very hit or miss this whole season outside of Edwin Diaz. And by the time the Dre deadline comes along at 6 o'clock, the two moves that the Mets make today – they traded J.D. Mar- JD oh, excuse me J.D. Davis for Darren Ruff, a uh, left-handed hitting for, uh, first baseman outfield type designated hitter type. Realistically, you could platoon him with Vogelbosch. He is a better. He has been doing better this season against uh, left-handed pitching. Then J.D. Davis has been doing, so there's an upgrade there. The problem is Mets give up Thomas Sabuki in that trade, who he sucks. Let's be honest, he's had two major league appearances over the last two years, gotten bombed both times, I'm fine with him going. But then they throw in two other prospects who they just drafted last season, and by all accounts, they're guys who supposedly haven't been getting better. And when you're an organization that constantly cries – that you're top-heavy and you don't have anything in the lower levels. Yeah, let's give up a couple guys in the lower levels just to help that along for no apparent reason. So they gave up four players all total for a guy with a 211 batting average. And yeah, statistically, he's had more home runs than J.D. Martinez this year. But at the end of the day, probably gave up a little much for him. And then you watch as David Robertson gets traded to the Philadelphia Phillies for their 26th-rated prospect according to MLBpipeline.com, and you turn around and you get Michael Givens. Decent reliever, not a top reliever by any stretch. You get him from the Chicago Cubs for a return that's still, and maybe it's changed now, but I know as the time that I went to here, we still don't know what the return on that deal is. So I'm looking that up right now. Anyway, it doesn't look like they gave up anybody big, so that's good. But at the end of the day, you got one reliever. No lefty relievers, no upgraded catcher. Everybody around you is trying to get better. The Braves are experts in small deals. So, And, and the fact that they pulled Raziel Iglesias out of their fucking ass at 559 is just abs- batshit ridiculous to me. And Joe, Jake Odorizzi is probably going to go back to being what he was a few years ago when he looked like an up-and-coming pitcher who had some talent not the erratic pitcher we've seen in Houston in the last two years. He's going to go to the Braves and he's going to become a star. I know they made a couple other moves. It was an infielder from the Cubs, I believe. I believe they traded to reacquire Chris Martin at some point. It was a reliever that they had last year. Moves work out for the Braves and the Mets did not do enough this trade deadline. I feel I'm not saying that the Mets moves were bad themselves. I'm saying when you got everybody doing everything you can, they can, to improve around you. And you know that years like the year that you are having this season, do not come around that often. You can't be hugging your prospects like there's no tomorrow with them. Guys like Mark Vientos and Ronnie Mauricio, who are the names who I consider the most expendable in the Mets organization these are decent players. They might turn out to be something someday, but at the end of the day, these are not guys I look at as different makers for this season. You needed a couple guys who could have come in and made an impact for you this season. Michael well, Ford gets traded over the course of this. Uh, I think he gets traded to the Twins. And it's just you had tools that you could use at your disposal to improve this team. Is that, that Showalter,
2: thing- though? Is that the Showalter effect because – they could have done that in the years with Stick Michael, uh, you know, but they didn't when Steinbrenner was suspended. I Yankees think it's different. Had, I think it, it's, different. it's a little different, but maybe he's seeing some of those same young prospects and is trying to convince ownership because apparently, from watching that documentary, he did go and he didn't say that he didn't want so many young people traded, didn't want some coaches going in, whatever. And that's part of the reason he, he was on the outs with Steinbrenner. Um, well, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest.
1: I don't necessarily disagree with your point, uh, base value, but I will say I think Buck has now – you're talking about 26 years ago. And while the point of trying to – But hang on a second, hang on a second. He builds with young talent, though. Yeah, I get that, I get that. But here's the deal. The point of building a sustainable winner, I get that. We're not talking about guys like Francisco Alvarez and Brett Batty, who arguably are – Two important building blocks. So I don't really think any Met fan wanted trading. In terms of Vientos and Mauricio, what I will say is, if these guys are difference makers, why aren't they on the team already? And if you're going to say, well, the difference makers, but we don't want to push them too soon, I think Buck has now been around long enough to know that when you have a team like this and a year that could be a special season, if you have the opportunity to move one of these guys and get multiple pieces in to fill holes that you still clearly have. I don't know. We're not talking about the boat here with guys like Vientos and Mauricio. We're talking about guys who could bring back pieces that could help you win now. And whereas I get the point you're coming from, I think that, like the buck you're talking about in 93, 94 didn't go through 26 years where he's thought of as a guy who could take you to a certain level but can't get you over that hump. I wonder how much that influences his thinking. That's all I'll say. But the bottom line is, I don't look at the Vogelbach, Naquan, Ruff, and Givens moves as bad moves. At the end of the day, though, Ruff, Ruff a, is your
2: gallo this year. Ruff is your gallo.
1: Uh, I thought Vogelbach was a better comparison to that because, truthfully, Ruff has a 288 batting average against left-handed pitching, which is what he was brought in to do. So I, I don't hate it. I just, I, I, think, I think you're in the wrong direction right there. But the bottom line is, I still think the Mets have an, enough to do something. The fact that their bullpen did not really get upgraded and your lefty reliever is still Jolie Rodriguez, pitching gets exposed in the postseason. And everybody around you just tried to get better, and you kind of stood pat. You didn't do enough. So as of right now, this trade deadline is a disappointment. So, um, you looking at this, before we move to what you guys did, you looking at this, what do you say? Did I get cut off?
2: No, sorry, I was on mute. Um, no, okay. Uh, I, I definitely don't think the Mets did enough. I don't think it's because of Cohen. So then it either comes down to were these moves made by Epler or were these moves influenced by Buck? Because I don't think it was the checkbook or the – or, or any of that that was holding this deal up. So, I, I mean, for their sakes, I hope they made the right move or whoever was in charge of that move made the right move, because if not, they're going to feel it from Cohen if the fan base turns up. Mm. That's the way I feel. So, I mean, they better hit on some of these moves. Um, And, you know, that's, that's kind of the way I look at the Mets right now. Mm.
1: I don't hate what they did at designated hitters. I don't hate what they did there, but I think the fact that they didn't add another lefty reliever, the fact that they didn't upgrade a catcher, like unless you're bringing Alvarez up next week, you should have done something to get Contreras. And the fact that the Cubs, who are going nowhere and stand to lose both Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ, held on to them, if I'm their fan base, I'm equally as pissed off because the compensatory draft pick You have no way of knowing if that's going to be better than what you could have gotten here today. So I think both teams screwed up on that one.
2: What do you say? There you go. I lost you for a second now, so you got to respond to that. Well, what
1: what I said was I think if I'm a Cubs fan, I am equally as pissed off that they stood pat and didn't move Wilson Contreras and Ian Happ at all because they're both free agents after the season. You had the opportunity to get something better than a compensatory pick right now, and the idea that you got nothing for them in a year that everybody knows you're going nowhere, and you're likely not to re-sign them in the offseason. If I'm a Cubs fan, I'm just as pissed off as the Met fans are right now.
2: Yeah, I could see that. You know, listen, I, your team stood pat, but the Cubs aren't really in it. Yeah. So, I mean... And they want to be a draw, so I I don't know. I could see them why they didn't as an organization just give them up. But at the same time, if I'm a fan, I'm pissed, yeah.
1: Yeah. All right, so we'll move to you guys, and you guys deserve some credit because you got Ben last week for three um, minor prospects. I I do believe that the prospects you guys have given up, I think you gave up like eight prospects before today and seven of them we're ranked in your top 30, so you guys didn't exactly give up nothing. It just looks like it because you gave up younger prospects. You did get to hold on to Volpe and, and Peraza and the Martians, so you held on to your top guys. You get Benintendi. You get Frankie Montez and Lucho out of seemingly nowhere yesterday. You had the reliever from the Cubs and Scott E. Frost. You trade Joey Gallo. And then, right at the deadline, you get Harrison Bader for Jordan Montgomery. So, I know you said you weren't totally up on that one when you came on. I tried to give you a little bit of time there so you could look into that one. Yeah. What do you thought? Oh. I
2: got to okay. Honest. Still a little in the dark on that one. But at the same time, I mean, I'm happy that the Yankees were at least aggressive. Mm-hmm.
0: I'm happy
2: that they wanted to go out and make some kind of moves. Um, I... You know me by now. I am very happy that Joey Gallo is no more. Right on. Um, It's just too much with him, to be honest with you. He, I mean, I saw the stats today. 233 at-bats, 106 strikeouts.
1: (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's
2: ugly. It's Mm -hmm. so fucking ugly. So when you're, I mean, when you're that ugly, I'm sorry. You guys, we got the hand sandwich we deserved for him. Because um, I think we got back, like, a young prospect, 23-year-old kid, you know. Yeah,
1: I think he's a double-A ball pitcher. Class,
2: like, nothing really special. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the other moves I'm interested in. Kid Efros, who apparently has 50 strikeouts in uh, 44 innings. Um, Montas, I actually had heard about late last week uh, that they were interested in him, especially after Castillo was gone. I heard that was kind of who they were going to target. Mm-hmm. They have a rapport with Oakland, or seems like, you know, what's his name does anyway. So, sure,
1: sure.
2: Um, but yeah, so I could see that move coming, getting their closer, too. Uh, he's had some struggles, but, uh, you know, listen, if he could come in and, and be a good part of the bullpen, I'm all for it. Um, Ben Attendee, listen, they arguably went out and got the best contact hitting person available. I mean, he was batting 320 when he came to the Yanks, still batting 311 best contact hitter available. They got the second best, uh, arguably the second best starting pitcher available and they got relief help. So they went out and filled the needs they needed to fill. Um, They traded, like I said, Montgomery, because listen, he was in the back half of staff anyway. Montez comes in much more, you know, ready to go. So unfortunately it was just Montgomery's time. Um, But you know, I uh I like the moves. Um I the only move I wish they would have I wish they would have shipped Hicks with Gallo, but I know that's too hard to do. That, well I mean, he,
1: here, here's the thing, and I'm sorry to cut you off there. Bader might become your starting center fielder because again he might not be much with a bat, but defensively if he's good, that shifts Judge back to right field. You got Ben and in left field, Hicks is now your fourth outfielder.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen, that's where we need that You know, um, listen, don't count Stanton Now, when he comes, Stanton's going to come back At some point, and sure, I actually like Stanton in the field, and I think he plays better When he plays in the field, so in the He's playoffs, got a cannon like, in, in, in the field more um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's kind of where I stand on The Yankees, I mean, as far as teams That, you know, a lot of people feel like The Padres probably won it by getting Soto And I mean, you match Soto with Tatis And Machado it's a really dangerous, you know, threesome in a lineup. But at the same time, baseball is a nine player lineup when you go through the batting order. And, you know, a lot of teams are the tough, you know, two, three, four hitter or one, two, three hitter. And I, I don't know. To me, I like, and again, I know Soto's coming on a rental. I'm kind of glad that the Yankees didn't give up their huge prospects. Um, Thought it was interesting they were fielding calls on Torres, but then as I was talking to my dad about it before, it made more sense to me because if you think about it, Velope or Valope is a shortstop and uh and Peraz is a shortstop. And they're like two of their top, you know, rated guys in the farm system. Are you really gonna pay labor in a year or two? And then if you do, what are you gonna do with those young guys? And Valoop, mm-hmm. I mean, his trade value is as high as it's ever been. You know, he they, Yankees could have got Soto if they would have been willing to intrude, include him in trade options, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah. they weren't willing to do that. So, I mean, to me, that says they might have a plan for those got one of those guys to make their way up and maybe not resign Torres. So I wouldn't be surprised if in the off-season or by next year at this time, Torres may be on the move somewhere.
1: I mean, I get the thought process behind that, but you could always play one at shortstop and move the other to, to third base because kind of play.
2: Well, well uh, actually, no, now I'm thinking about it. They got Torres at second, right? Because they got kind of yeah. left at short. But still, we got LeMahieu we're paying. And listen, those guys still got to have a place where they're playing short or second. I, I don't know. I just don't think that the Yankees need to pay big money to Torres. I mm. thought that two years ago. I still thought it a little bit last year. And the more I watch them – he just hasn't returned to the player he was his rookie year yet. And until he does and starts to prove that I don't I don't wanna pay him. I'll let another team pay him. And I'll bring up one of the young guys. That's what I would like to do anyway. But that's just really? me. That's the way it is. But I overall like the Yankees pro, uh situation. I mean listen, there were you know, I'm you know, sitting here crying from my perch as I you know, like <laughs> just these are first world problems here as we sit here at 70 and 34, um, you know, so it's, you know, kind of an embarrassment of riches. And I feel like they, they did little moves to try to improve the team. And I think they did that.
1: Mm. No, you definitely did. You definitely did. You did what I would have. I, I mean, not maybe not to the extent, but you guys definitely did what a version of what I would have liked to have seen the Mets do. And in a technical sense, Mets are better today than they were last week, but not really, really by much. But to go back to going around the league, the Padres, that Soto deal, it's funny. I've heard everything from this is the biggest value in terms of prospect return ever, ever traded at the trade deadline to the Nationals don't want know what the hell they're doing and they're a joke of a franchise. And then you had the whole Hosmer drama on top of that, where he's got a no trade clause. He's included for it to make the contracts work and everything. He, he which was his right. He said he didn't want to go to him. The nationals were one of the teams on his no trade list. He had the right to do it. He gets traded to the Red Sox. Luke Voigt winds up going to the nationals in his place. So you got all that. Um, I, The interesting thing to me is the Padres are one of those teams that when you hear other small and mid-market teams talk about they can't afford this, they can't afford that, and then you look at what the Padres have been willing to do for the last eight years, it blows that theory completely out of the water because the Padres are a smaller mid-market team that is going to put up the money and do what they need to do to, to compete. Now, it's never gotten them anywhere, but they're making the effort that I think every mid and small market team would love to see out of their own teams. But the problem is, I also heard a rumor that this uh, the return that they gave up for Soto was palpable to them because in their eyes, hey, we can always try to trade him a couple years from now and recoup some of that prospect capital we gave up. Well, if you're already putting it out there, then this Soto uh, drama is not over. It's just tabled for another day. So I, I'm not too crazy about that. But well, in that's terms what of it r- is,
2: is because the, the Padres are in a race right now, so much mm-hmm. like you Met should have done is capitalize when you see an opportunity. That's what they were trying to do. They were well, trying sure. to capitalize on the opportunity, but what happened is is. You know, is it enough or whatever? But, again, it gives them the room to back out of it if need be because, again, you're not going to get as much back for Soto in two years, but you're going to still get something back for him for somebody on a run probably, and, you know, that'll be a decision to make in two years. But for now, unless they go out and try to sign him to big money like they did Tatis, but but I think him and Tatis are the same age.
1: I believe so. That sounds right, yeah. But yeah. can, you ima- can you imagine having Soto, uh, Tatis Jr., and Machado in the same lineup for an extended period of time? Like You'd have to com- commit a billion dollars to all three of them because you're already paying. What
2: happens if it doesn't work out? What happens if, say, when they all hit 32 years old, they all fall off a cliff? Cause they all isn't start it, isn't Machado already in- there, though? But I'm just saying, they all started playing when they're 19. By the time you get to 32, 33, these guys got 14 years of big league experience on them already. It's a lot different, you know, nowadays, especially bringing the young kids up like that. So, I don't know. I worry that is the longevity there late in Tatis' contract? Probably not. Is it their late in Machado's contract? Probably not. I would almost, and I'm still a proponent for overpaying in the short term to at least get the value at. Yeah, if you're going to pay big money, pay it early, and then let somebody else worry about paying them late. <laughs> offer them stupid money now, you know. Offer Soto of three years for fifty million, and see what a, a year and see what happens. Who's going to turn that down? Nobody's going to turn that down.
1: Now, Definitely buys out the arbitration year. So you got that going for you on that one. Machado is 30 years old right now. I do believe Soto and Tatis Jr. are the same age. I mean, the three of them, the problem is for the Padres, they have a great pitching staff right now. Is the bullpen strong enough? Is the rest of the lineup strong enough? Do they have enough to overcome the the Dodgers? I don't know. They definitely did more than the Dodgers this year trade deadline, like the Dodgers to me, outside of that Gallo move, they're the only one of the top six or seven legit World Series contenders who have a case of saying they did less than the Mets did. So there's that. Um, I mean, we'll wrap this up real quick because I know we want to bring Dave on here and move on a little bit. You see the Astros go out and get Christian Vasquez. They got Trey Mancini. I think it's funny Mancini is one of the biggest feel-good stories in all of baseball, so of course he gets traded to the most hated team in all of baseball. Did you appreciate the irony on that one?
2: I didn't even notice it until you brought it up, but yeah, now <laughs> I do. you know it's just uh, the, like you like you pointed out in the beginning. A lot of the teams that were at the top got better. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of them sam- sat pat this year. And uh I think that's gonna be the difference for the postseason run as the teams that might have made them made the moves and the teams didn't.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh any other thoughts on the trade deadline we might have missed so far?
2: Um trying to think. Otani, I'm kind of a little surprised that he didn't get moved. Um if the Yanks were going to try to trade Torres or whatever else, I mean, I would have liked to see them package him up and maybe try to go make a move with some of the young kids too to, to get an Otani. Um Didn't happen. Nobody got him. But at the same time, you know, that's another target the Mets really should have looked at. You know, big name, big bat, another pitcher. So, I don't know. That's, well, that's I, I, think it's
1: a, I think it's kind of the same thing with Soto where – you're giving up an arm and a leg for a guy who's going to be a free agent a couple of years from now. And I don't really think the angels were committed to trading him right now. I just think they were putting it out there because that's what was going on. They put some feelers out. They heard what was available and they were just like, now nah, we're going to wait a little bit. You know? Possible. No. Yeah. Um, trying to think if there's anything else here. Uh... This, I'll tell you this, this weekend series that I would love to have Fife on right now, just to hear some thoughts about what the Braves did, the Austin Riley signing that came in there. Um, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, good signing for him. I, I don't know what Austin Riley was thinking. If I'm being honest, signing, uh, signing that contract $212 million over 10 years. Oh boy. Oh, man. Okay. He's here. He's here. Ah, speak of the devil. Speak of the devil. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Pfeiffer is here tonight. Eric Pfeiffer, how you doing?
0: Howdy, boys.
1: (laughs) What's going on, man?
0: Not too much. Just uh, sitting in my truck outside the rink about to grab my gear and go in. Just wanted to stop in and say hello.
1: Sounds good. All right. So... I literally just mentioned I wish Eric Pfeiffer was here tonight so we could talk about the Austin Riley contract signing the Yankee I uh, excuse me the Braves lock up their All-Star third baseman 212 million dollars I believe over the course of 10 years. You look at some of the numbers some of the contracts players in Riley's age range have signed for and in my opinion, and Eric said it before, this is a great deal for the Braves. Great deal for the Braves. I'm not going to repeat what I put in our group chat earlier this evening. I am going to say this is very curious on Riley's part to take a, a, a move that, in my opinion, grossly undervalues what he brings to the table at the age of 25 when he could have waited a couple of years and probably getting a much bigger deal here. What are your thoughts here?
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% sure on why or who or how or what or when he did it, but I mean, I guess I know when and all that shit. But um, I guess, you know, when you have an organization like the Braves, who, Mike, you've mentioned in the past, are not known for dishing out monster contracts, Mm -hmm. I guess the only thing I could think to – would be the reasoning behind it is he wanted to stay with the great historical organization, such as the Atlanta Braves. Um, I think cousin David pointed out the taxes that could be part of it. Um, But when you know you're you're in an organization that doesn't want to break the bank every year, if they don't have to, um, maybe you take a little less money to stay within their payroll um, so that they can still go out and spend the money they want to spend to build the team so that maybe you can win some championships. I know there's no salary cap and it's not necessarily like that, but if you're talking about an organization like you said that doesn't like to break the bank with monster contracts and that's where you want to stay and you factor that into it where maybe you just want to give them that room that they want to be able to bring in other players and put talent around them because, you know, you realize that baseball is not a one-man sport. You need a whole team.
1: Well, to that point, actually, you look at what the Braves have done Acuna is under contract until about 2026, I believe. With you guys, Ozzy Albus, your second baseman, is under contract till 2027, and the first baseman Matt Olson under contract till—and I might be wrong here—I think it's, I guess it's 2030 actually, because he signed an eight-year deal. So you guys have the core of your offense intact for a number of seasons right now, and you still got money left. For guys like Max Fried and Danby Swanson and the rookie Michael Harris, who has come up and all the other young pitchers you guys have. So, yeah, you guys are in some good shape and your moves that you made at the deadline over the last 36 hours, you trade the reliever Will Smith, not the guy who punched Chris Rock, but the relief pitcher Will Smith for Jake Odorizzi who at one point was considered a pretty good young up-and-coming pitcher, and I'm sure he will reestablish that now that he's a member of the Braves. And you pull Raziel Iglesias, the closer from the Angels, out of thin air mere seconds before the trade deadline expired. You guys just keep doing what you guys do, and I'm just sitting here going, we got Darren Ruff and Michael Givens.
0: Long season, like I said, back in June.
1: Yeah, and I will say this weekend, in my opinion, this weekend, five game series between the Mets and Braves, that's the battle for the division right there. So we shall see what happens there. I'm not even going to talk about the Mets' seven game winning streak because, you know, or who's coming back tonight for starting a year and a month because the trade deadline kind of put a little cloud over all that stuff for me. Well, we talked uh, about
0: this. We talked about this series, uh, this five game series, a, a month ago. We knew Mm -hmm. this was going to be a pivotal point in the season. We knew this was the big one. As long as the Braves, even though they dropped that three-game series, as long as they kept pace going into this five-game series, uh, we knew this was a big one. But then again, you know, I don't always believe that in baseball, winning the division is the most important. I mean, it's a great accomplishment. But uh, it's all about what you do when you get to the dance, if you get to the dance.
1: What I will say is, after what the Padres did today, I think it puts more onus on whoever wins the NL East, whether it's the Mets or the Braves, because the Padres, in my opinion, are not the team you want to face in the first round, especially if you are the Mets who have only dropped two season series to teams all years, and the Padres were one of them before they made the deals they made today. So I, I slightly disagree with you on that one, sir. Uh, with that, do we. Yep. Do we have any closing thoughts, baseball, before we move on here, gentlemen? Going once, going twice. So, those, one, oh, go ahead. I,
0: I have one request. Uh, I do have to hang up after this. I, I was going to say, let's play some hockey. Yeah, let's play some hockey. Team Reds going out. We're trying to get our second win in a row now. Uh, after two tough losses, we won last week in overtime. But I did want to say. Um, I was hoping, you know, you guys wanted me to be here to discuss the NFC South. I can't do that this week because I got to go in uh, right now and start getting ready for this game. Um, So I was hoping maybe we could push the NFC South back and talk about it when I could be here. But that was just a request. I do got to get running and get ready to go here.
1: I was prepared to do that out of respect for you.
0: I appreciate it.
1: Yep, I was prepared to do that. and I have no doubt that everybody else will go along with you on that one, sir. All right, boys,
0: um, I will catch you later. All right. Great, they, great show. Love you guys.
1: Yeah. Love you too, love man. You, uh, good good luck in your game tonight, go team red.
2: Right. Go yes. team
1: red. Right. And with that, with that, we say goodbye to one, we say hello to another. Dave Hastings is here tonight. Dave, how you doing? Considering
3: <coughs> fact I time joining perfectly to avoid listening to baseball talk, I'm a pretty happy camper.
1: Listen, I, I think my rants, when I'm mad about what the Mets did, are pretty entertaining, but it is what it is, so that's fine.
3: I won't take that away from you, Mike. If it mm-hmm. makes you feel any better, even the professional sports talk shows, I shut them off when they start talking baseball. It's, oh, not, that's, a per- it's not a personal thing, I promise. I know. That much.
1: No, I get that. I get that. Eric, entertaining or not entertaining, what I, what I did earlier?
2: Entertaining as always. Thank you. Thank you. All
1: right. All right. So I do have a question. We are going to hold off on the NFC South for when Fife can be here because after last week, we kind of built that up a little bit. I didn't think we should do that without Fife. Do we want to move on to another division or do we want to skip the division stuff for a week?
3: Why not do the crappy division of the AFC South?
1: It will be the easiest division to do without question. So – Fair They're enough there. Good.
3: They're not good.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. No. Not at all. Sorry, right, let's let's look at the AFC South here before we go to some of the stories that have come out of the NFL over the last couple days here and of course we do have big two big ones to talk about. So if we look at the AFC South, the Tennessee Titans return after winning the division last year just about intact with the exception of a couple wide receivers by the name of Julio Jones and AJ Brown. Like I said, they didn't win the division and then they kind of coughed up the playoffs in the uh, division round of the playoffs, I believe. So they come back. Uh, Indianapolis went out and traded for Matt Ryan after the failed Carson Wentz experiment of the, of a year ago, Houston Texans return with a new head coach and Lovie Smith. And, um, Yeah, that's about it. And the Jacksonville Jaguars, fresh off the Urban Meyer debacle, hope that Doug Peterson, whose last year as head coach in Philadelphia, did not end well. They are hoping that he can rebound. And I don't know if lead him to the promised land is the right thing to say for the Jacksonville Jaguars, but at the very least get him out of the cellar would probably be preferable in the second year under the Trevor Lawrence era. So with that... Let's go to you guys here. And Dave, you're just joining us. I'll start with you. Thoughts on the AFC
2: South? Real quick, I don't want to. Oh. Before Dave gets going on the AFC South, like, I just got to say, I didn't think this is where we were going to start football.
3: Are uh, you on to go with the main storylines first?
2: I'm just saying, no. So we can do this first and get it out of the way. Yeah,
1: I'm It's not going to take very long. I apologize. I apologize for going this way. I, 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 I knew it was going to be quick, though.
3: All right. Mm -hmm. Well, here, since he passed it to me, I think I'm going to drive Mike's point home with what he just said about this being quick. (laughs) To me, this is strictly the Colts' division to lose. I don't think there's any other way to look at it. And I think they're the favorites to win the division. Even with that said, I still don't think they're a good enough team that they're going to do any damage in the playoffs. Um, So I I think the Texans are – the Texans, and they're just not going to be good. Um, I think Jacksonville, you'd like to, I mean, the real thing you want to see out of Jacksonville is can Trevor Lawrence take the next step moving forward, and you look at Tennessee, and we, at this point, we know who they are. They're, they're Derrick Henry and, and Ryan Tannehill and, and decent defense, and that's not going to be enough to win you a Super Bowl, so uh, I got the Colts going. I'm going to say no. 10 and 7, I'll put the Titans at 9 and 8, I'll put the Jaguar. yeah, I'll put the Jaguars, I'll say it's 7 and 10, or no, 6 and 11, and I'll put the Texans, we'll say 2 and 15. That's as quick as I could go for you, Eric.
1: <laughs> Eric, do you want to go next, or do you want me to go next, because I'll go quick too.
2: Go quick. My dog's going crazy in the background.
1: Okay. All right. Um, listen, I'm I'm gonna give Tennessee a slight edge here. I, I agree Matt Ryan is definitely a better quarterback than Carson Wentz, but you know, I I don't know that Indy definitively has enough to really be that one piece away that a Matt Ryan is gonna make all that difference than Carson Wentz, especially at this stage of Matt Ryan's career. I could be wrong though. I put Tennessee at 10 and 7. I do like Derrick Henry when he's healthy. And we did saw what he see what he was able to do when he was healthy the last couple of years. So I think as long as they have that, I'll keep them as the favorite. Ten, eight, Indy, I will keep at nine and eight. Uh, Jacksonville, I'm gonna say five and eleven because I do think you're gonna see a marginal bit of improvement in the second year. You do have the running back Travis eat Eat any or however you pronounce his he name can. was actually going to be. There he you can. go. He's actually healthy this year. So we'll see what that does. And the fact that um, the Jacksonville players aren't going to be fighting their head coach. I think that's going to help them out a little bit there. And Houston four and 13. Um, I don't know that they can really do better than that. And I wouldn't be surprised if they only win one game this season. If that. So that's what I got. You for the You the same
2: about them last year. They get weird surprise wins sometimes. They, they, they do.
1: Any given Sunday. Yeah. I
2: don't
1: know. What do you say, Eric? Uh,
2: I think this is. I I think Dave has it backwards. I don't know how he thinks this is a Colts division to lose. I think it's the Texans or the Titans division to lose. Um, I mean, you're running behind Derrick Henry. They still have AJ Brown. They still have. Uh, who did they go out and trade for? Robert Woods, is it?
3: They don't. oh uh, yeah, they
1: him. got signed them. Yeah, they, they signed Robert. Him. Huh.
3: They don't have A.J. Brown. He's in Philly. Oh, never mind. Not A.J. Brown and not Julio. But, no,
2: no, no. the other one. Who's the other receiver they have?
1: They got Robert Woods. I think you were right on that. Yeah. All
2: right. Whatever. Either way, they're running behind Derrick Henry. And to me, I still think he's the best back in that division. He leads that team. They're always in it with Rabel. it seems like. He might be the best off of the Belichick coaching tree. Um, and he wasn't even really, I don't think, an assistant under Belichick, if I'm not mistaken. He just played under Belichick. But either, either way, so you know, I call him Belichick disciple. He's like the only one that seems to really be super successful right now, in my opinion, um, unless you guys point somebody else out, but I'm not thinking of off the top of my head. But most nope. come in, don't do too well. Um, he seems to have found the right recipe. He has the team playing well. The defense plays well in between the way the defense plays and the way Derrick Henry runs the football. This team is going to be hard to beat week to week. Uh, I think they're going to be 11 and six. I think they end up winning the division. Uh, I think the Colts follow at 10 and seven in a playoff hunt. I think they're a game better with Matt Ryan, but I don't think they're much better with Matt Ryan. Um, Carson Wentz is like, you know, I, I think him and where Matt Ryan are at in their career right now are pretty comparable. So I, I don't think they upgraded significantly. So that's why I put him at 10 and seven. Then you have the bottom of the division, the Texans and the Jaguars. I do expect the Jaguars to be slightly better this year, but not great. Um, maybe six and eleven, five and twelve. I'm feeling more like I should say five and twelve, but maybe I'll say so I'm going to go six and eleven. And uh, the Texans, I think they finish right there in that meaty three and 14, 4 and thirteen range. So give me uh, one game shittier three and 14 this year for the Texans. So that's 11 and six for the Titans, 10 and seven for the Colts. Uh, We're going to go six and 11 for the Jaguars and three and 14 for the Texans.
1: Mm. I do have to make a correction because with Jacksonville, I accidentally said five and 11. I'm going to change that to five and 12. So I think with that, that concludes our preview of the AFC South. So now we can move on to the big stories of this week. And obviously, we have two of them. So on Monday, the news broke that the retired federal judge, Sue L. Robinson, who was appointed as the independent arbiter on the case against Deshaun Watson, handed down her ruling against Deshaun Watson. And she ruled that he was going to be suspended for six games for this season. For all his improprieties with the masseuses and everything. Now, I'm not going to go through everything, obviously. I think we're going to talk about it. Here's some bullet points, though. Fundamentally, the NFL won the case against Watson. In that, there was impropriety determined to be at play here. There was also the determination of the judge that Watson lied to investigators. And yet, it was still only a six-game suspension. And we can definitely talk about other cases. You know, Calvin Ridley is serving a year long suspension for gambling on games that he wasn't involved in, weren't even uh, in, uh, the team that he is on, weren't even involved in. Year suspension for placing a parlay over Thanksgiving weekend last year. Um, I, I, I can't remember which wide receiver it is. I'm sorry. He's serving a six game PED suspension where Trace Mounts of substances found in his position, uh, in his, uh, system. That was Deandre Hopkins, right? Yes. Yep. You're
0: spot
1: yep. on. Thank you. All right. So you got that. He get he gets six games. BDs apparently gets the same amount of games as someone who's got 24 civil cases against him for possible sexual misconduct against masseuses. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. There's a lot of things about this that I don't think make any sense to anyone. And we all said months ago, if he got anything less than a one-year suspension, it was going to be considered a joke and further proof that the NFL does not give a shit about what their players do. And yet again, we have more proof of this. To be fair, it is not Roger Goodell or the NFL that handled down the suspension. It is the independent arbiter that they put in terms of responsibility of the decision. But it's going to look bad on them regardless.
2: That's that's not true, though, because if you look they're all just fucking pointing figures at each other. This is the big fucking Spider-Man meme happening right here. Everybody's just standing there, no, dude, <laughs> dude, Because literally, the NFL is saying, well, we gave the decision to her. Mm-hmm. She's saying, well, I based my decision off of previous NFL rulings. That... The NFL, she's well, blaming- we know the
1: NFL's the rulings have been a joke.
2: That's She's blaming the NFL in the way they previously ruled. And mm. the NFL is saying- it's not our decision because we put it in her hands. It makes no fucking sense. Mm. One big fucking circle jerk for nothing. I mean, I honestly, like, what a... I mean, listen, the S.H.I.E.L.D. tries to protect the S.H.I.E.L.D., but I don't understand how this really... And then you... Not only that, but I mean, I know we're going to get to the story next, but I mean, when you compare it to the next story and what happened <laughs> there and the punishment that was levied out there... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling. I mean, I said this to you guys the other day, and I'm going to bring it up again. But Calvin Ridley, 17 games for placing bets, which the NFL partners with DraftKings and FanDuel and MGM and all these other sports books now. Run advertisements, have advertisements on the field, are all about it, all about fantasy football and everything else. Yet he gets suspended for betting on games. Sorry, bullshit. Vontez Burfitt, twelve games for targeting, knocked the shit out of somebody. Yeah, but got twelve games for it. Twelve. Watson got his way with twenty-five or twenty-six or however many different women, and gets six games. It makes no sense. DeAndre Hopkins, Trace amount six games. Martavius Bryant. Out indefinitely because of weed. Josh Gordon suspended 25 plus games because of weed. Ricky Williams back in the day. Darren Waller 16 games for substance abuse. Ra-
3: Randy because, Gregory. They're fit, much harsher
2: Randy, on you if you abuse drugs.
3: Randy than Gregory. You abuse
2: fit, women. That makes no fucking sense.
3: Eric, Randy Gregory, 52 games since 2016 because of weed.
2: Dave. This is some of the biggest amount of bullshit. When they come out and talk about integrity of the game, it makes my blood fucking boil. There is no integrity (laughs) in this game. This is a game of fucking gladiators. This is a game of fucking win the goddamn win the game or that's it. Like that's what it is. It's not a game of integrity and we play together and you know what a game of integrity that's golf, where you know you gotta trust that the guy wrote the right score down. You know, yep. There's no integrity, it's a game of monsters Smashing into
3: each other Yeah no, Go ahead I'm, Dave Sorry, my, I'm just I'm like completely with you When I saw that come out like, What I love is a lot of people are like Oh well the NFL can appeal And it's like well how much worse would it make the NFL look If they hire this private arbitrator And then they go against whatever this private arbitrator says Yeah like, that just makes them look worse. Why even hire the woman if you're not going to take her, you know, take her ruling?
2: Why would you hire her at all? It was a waste of time and money. You did it for
1: this a PR a move. It was a PR move.
3: Yeah,
2: it,
3: it's this, this whole Deshaun Watson thing. And and what what's interesting is I actually, a lot of people think the NFL is going to appeal. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't think they are. I mean, no, yeah. I don't think they are. I
2: think they're happy to get him back on the field because all they care about is, oh, Deshaun Watson will throw touchdowns, and then he'll, he'll get us more sales, and jersey sales, and ticket sales, and it's all about money, money, money. Nothing stops the shield and their goddamn money. That is what it is all about, and Deshaun Watson on the field makes them money. That's what they feel like. So that's what they want to do is get him back on the field as quick as possible. They've tried to push this story off so far to where people try to forget about it and whatever. And then when you hear it, you're like, oh yeah, what'd he do again? He just abused some women, whatever. I'm like, no, no, I'm sorry. Like, I it, it, there's no excuse for his behavior. And six games is a, a weak slap in the face. And the fact that she goes, Oh, well, I'm going off of previous rulings and you know, previous precedents sent by the NFL that is such a cracker shit, then why even have her she's just going to rule the way you've always ruled, and then come out and say it? What the fuck is the point
3: of having her? Mm. Well, I... So, sorry, i I'm not trying to segue to this already, but just think about what came out today about the Dolphins after the backlash yesterday with what happened with Deshaun. The
2: Dude, they tie into me. You think about <laughs> it, like, those two things tie into me, because you, they want to talk about integrity of the game, and First yeah. of all, they came out and said that there wasn't enough evidence that just Stephen Ross did anything wrong when it came to uh, offering to pay to lose, uh, pay Brian Flores to lose games, a hundred thousand dollars. They said that was more of a joke. Yeah. Okay. Well, first of all, if he said it, it's not a fucking joke. And then, and then to say you know you're hitting him because of the Tom Brady and. Uh, Sean Sean Payton And Sean Payton tampering Neither of them are even with the ball club It's all bullshit, it's all arbitrary They suspended him just as long as They suspended Deshaun Watson practically And they fined him a million and a half They didn't even find Deshaun Watson And they took away draft picks All for just having Conversations with people He is literally raping women And they don't give a fuck I don't understand the logic I need one of you to literally piece this together for me. Because you know me, I'm not a person that's like this, but this makes no fucking sense.
1: Uh, listen, all I'm going to say here is I agree with both you guys. I thought the Spider-Man meme comparison was was spot on there, Eric. Perfect. I feel, that, yeah, it was perfect. They, they put this woman in place as a PR move to make it look like, okay, you know, we're doing the right thing. We're having a woman make the decision here. The woman just turns around and says, I'm going off of previous rulings. We all know previous rulings were a joke and not the thing you should be going off of. You should be using your own instinct here. She's got the deniability there. The NFL can't go against, even if they wanted to, they can't go against what she said because you put her in there. And if you don't go with what she says, whether or not it's right or not, you know, at the end of the day, you're going against what the woman said. So it solidifies the boys club thing. And it's just it, – it's a horrible situation. Once again, NFL don't do shit. The suspension, it's saying that you did something without actually doing something. I'm going to bring that line back up again. So I think with that, yeah,
2: you know, let's know talk I about – also hate the fact that we're talking about this shit rather than talking about training camps and the, what's going on in the field and who we're excited to see and the different shit going on and how many interceptions Carson Wentz and – all these other people are throwing already. And Baker Mayfield, I saw his stats on, you know, four interceptions or whatever during one. We're not even talking about the actual football. This is the problem every year with football. By the time the season starts, you have fourteen other things to talk about other than the actual game happening.
1: I was gonna say, "Tis the season."
3: <laughs> there you go, Mike.
1: <laughs> Thank you. All right, but, but yeah, no. my
2: bonus out of proportion, or do you guys not at know? all?
1: Not well, at all. You're 100% right. Like, Where I mean, is look. the
2: logic in saying that uh, Stephen Ross was uh, jeopardizing the integrity of the game, but yet the Sean Watson and what he did doesn't jeopardize the integrity of the game? Like, how does that bring more fans in? If you're a fan of the Cleveland Browns, how do you explain to your kid about what just happened and why he's suspended for six games? If you got 10-year-old little Johnny at home ready to throw on his Watson jersey, and you bought it for him, and you go, Daddy, but why isn't Watson playing in game one? Well, you're going to have to explain to him. Well, son, what are you going to say to him? What are you going to say to him?
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> You ever heard of Bill Cosby? Like
2: eventually, he's going to be able. By the time, by the time Dad's done with the conversation, he's going to have an iPhone in his hand anyway, googling it, going, mm. "What did Deshaun Watson do?" And then also, you know, he, I don't understand their logic behind this. Other than they just think it's going to put more fans in the seats. Maybe they think the controversy is going to draw more fans to watch Browns games. I don't know, but I got to be honest, I have zero. And I mean, zero interest in watching Deshaun Watson on any fucking network. If he pops up on red zone, I might actually change the channel.
1: You want to know the funniest part? You want to know the funniest part?
2: Yeah.
1: The funniest part is they put in the decision. Deshaun Watson is no longer allowed to hire private masseuses. All massages have to be directed through the team. They have to be team appointed masseuses. They literally put this in the fucking decision.
2: It's the Kyler Murray nonsense where they had the addendum about bedtime.
3: You know what I mean? It's just stupid. <laughs>
0: it's you stupid. heard
3: it. Did you hear they took that out of his contract after all the backlash?
0: Of course. Yeah, but
3: he, listen, the backlash was there. He
2: just felt like a dumbass and went and c- cried to the fucking, eh, they're making fun of me. <laughs> I'm not respected as a quarterback now. <laughs> and then they said, fine, Kyler. We'll tell him we took it away. But the fact that it was in there at all—it wasn't until the backlash came that they wanted to take it out.
3: Wait, this guy's a really, bitch. Really quick, this is slightly off topic, but my favorite part about Eric's impersonation of Kyler Murray is if Eric was talking about Aaron Donald, he would have did the same exact impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, I've heard that. I've heard that impersonation so many times over the years, that you that and I'm like, I could see Kyler Murray sounding like that. But I also know Eric would do that if it was like Aaron Donald and we know Aaron Donald sounded like that. It's <laughs> uh, funny. Oh, shit.
1: I mean, there's so many other tangents we could go off on off of that. Eric, why don't you imitate me uh, talking about the Mets earlier today? You could do it the same exact way. It'd be the same goddamn thing. Uh, anyway, um, there you go. All right. Um. So, yeah, all right, we already kind of did it, but the Steven Ross decision, I'll just read this here. NFL notified the Dolphins on Tuesday that the team would be stripped of its 2023 first-round pick. Uh, I believe it's a 2024 second-round pick, uh, find $1.5 million. Ross suspended through October 17th, isn't permitted to be at the Dolphins facility to represent the team at any event. Can't attend any league meeting before the annual meeting in two thousand twenty-three. Other disciplinary measures for violations of league policies relating to the integrity of the game. And I don't think I need to reiterate. There's no integrity in this game anymore. Nobody gives a shit.
3: Whatever makes money.
2: A joke.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know what? You know it's sad. You guys are probably just as amped up as me, trying to schedule your fantasy football drafts and and get all ready for that experience. And
2: I might and, be in one league this year. I think I am. I think I'm in like no, maybe two. This will be the lowest amount of leagues
3: I've been in in probably
2: twenty years, almost.
3: Yeah, I thought I was only doing one, and then I found out they still need me for a second one. Last year, they made me. They asked me to join the league because they were short-handed. So I hopped in, and then I went and won the league. I'm like, "Oh, you guys want me to come back for another?" I'm like, "Okay,
1: <laughs> there you I'll go. take your money." Well, uh, I, I I will say this outside of fantasy football. I'm guessing we we've kind of said what we need to say, even before all this nonsense of the last couple of days. I was having a hard time getting excited for this season. And it's probably because of what I'm sure is going to wind up happening with the Cowboys this this season and what has happened the last couple days. The Cowboys training camp didn't exactly make me feel any better. I believe what James Washington is out for the season, one of the guys they expected to replace, Amari Cooper. No,
3: nah, so 10, week, 10 weeks, Mike. He'll be back oh, by yeah. end of October.
1: Oh, fantastic. He'll be back long enough to see us be out of it. That That's great. That's great. Uh, So, yeah, I was having a hard time getting excited for this season. And nothing I've seen over the last couple of days has really energized me.
3: Well, if there's one thing I can say is that Dallas went from one of the best wide receiving cores to one of the most worrisome. But we can dive into that when we get to the NFC East and those conversations, but Training camp-wise, there's one thing I'm going to say, and, man, I'm pretty sure neither one of you are going to agree with me or like this, but from the couple clips I've seen, I think there's a good chance you see Zach Wilson on the Jets make a, a, a jump in his second year and play much better football.
2: I saying- say that. I actually read a stat yesterday, Dave. Backs you up on a lot of people thinking that. In the month of July, Zach Wilson was the most betted on player to win the MVP the entire month of July. So, including all the sports books, they took more bets on Zach Wilson to win MVP this season than they took on bets on any other quarterback.
3: Look, I saw a clip today. He was rolling to his left, threw off his back foot. He's right-handed, for those that don't know threw off his back foot and still got it 68 yards down the field and hit his wide receiver right in the middle. Mm. He reminds me from that clip, the first thought I had was Brett Favre. And when <laughs> you think back on the season he had last year, he had a lot of Brett favre moments where he threw some balls where you're like, what the hell are you doing? But a split second earlier, it would have been a completion. It still would have been a what the hell are you doing moment. But at the same time, when once it's completed, nobody cares. And mm-hmm. I, look, I, I would not—I'm not—I definitely would not bet on him winning MVP. But I mean, hell, if you're gonna take a long shot, take a long shot. Um, you know, I think you're, you're looking at Aaron Rodgers possibly going at it again with a chip on his shoulder, and you know his little comment last week about the going from Hall of Famer to Hall of Famer after what Devontae Adams said about going from Aaron Rodgers to David Carr. Or Derek Carr. What
2: did he expect Devontae Adams to say? Let me just bring that up. What the fuck did he expect Devontae Adams to say? I know I'm cursing a lot tonight and I probably shouldn't do that, but at the same time, what did Devontae like? Is he supposed to put down Derek Carr? Is he supposed to sit there and say, oh, I just played with the greatest quarterback ever? You know, I hope it goes as well with Derek. No, he's going to come out and say, but he didn't badmouth Rodgers. It's no. not like even. It's not even like Tyreek Hill co- comment that came out of. Oh well, I like to play with an accurate quarterback or whatever. Where he's kind of like trying yeah. to pump up two of and knock down Mahomes in a way. It almost seemed like this doesn't even seem like that.
3: Yeah, no, I I don't think uh, Aaron Rodgers took it as a shot on him from Devontae Adams because I do think him and Adams are actually like friends. Like I don't think they're just teammates. I think they're friends. I don't think Rodgers took it as a shot from Adams. But I think Rodgers is well, especially after last year with everything about the COVID vaccine and his, you know, toe swelling. I think Aaron Rodgers is at the point of his career where he's like, I've done enough that no matter what I say to you guys, you can't knock my actual career. So I'm just going to have fun with you and give you headlines. Like, like Eric... I think you'll agree with me when I say this, like if you were a professional athlete, I could see you throwing shade or talking shit about former teammates that you're actually great friends with, but you know, the media will blow it completely out of proportion. And then you would call your boy up that you said it about and laugh with them about it. Like I, like that, like, I think that's what Rogers was doing where he was like, he hit up Adams after later that day and was like, bro, did you see what I said to the media? Like, yeah, I just <laughs> let went. Me ask I you just... Though.
2: And let me ask you, cause it's just per, the perception I get. And I know per, perception isn't always reality, but that's why I'm bringing it up because to me, like, you don't hear about Rogers really palling it around with people. And like, you know, ha- like I don't see Rogers hanging out with a lot of people around the league or whatever else. Like I, I again, I don't know. I'm not in the inner workings or whatever, But at the same time, like, I I just, I I don't know, like, is is he? Because I know, like, when he got traded out there to Derek Carr, I guess they played in college and they knew each other and they was all excited to go out there. Like, I I think he was more happy to be reunited with his old quarterback than he, you know, and he was okay to leave Rodgers. That's why, I I don't know, does Rodgers, like, have a lot of best friends? Because it seems like the best friend he has in the league is Pat McAfee, who does a podcast. Like, that, that's to me where and you find Rogers the, the most.
3: What? And is off the wall. The Pac-Mac podcast is off the wall sometimes. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, I believe it. But I'm just saying, like, is that like, like, that seems like his best friend. That's the one who, and I understand, like, you're like, that's who he's running and telling these stories to. It. That's who's, you know, because once it gets on, out there, then the rest of the media blows it up. But, like, I, I don't know. I think that joke kind of wears thin sometimes, though. Like and I don't know. Like to me, I, think, I just feel like Devonte Adams is looking at it, going, "Listen, dude, I tried to throw you guys both compliments. You know, I wasn't trying to put you down. I was saying you're, you know, a Hall of Famer, and you know, I just, you know, wanted to show my new QB some respect too. You know, and I, I think I, wrong with
1: that. I think his comments definitely read that way. I mean, like you said, the media likes to overblow everything, but you can talk up your current teammate. Without putting down your former teammate, and I think, like you guys said, I think Adams and Rodgers are friends, but Adams and Carr also have a connection before the NFL because they went to college together. So why wouldn't he talk up his new quarterback, who's also a friend of his, and he doesn't have to put down his old quarterback, who I do think he's got some sort of affection for. I think he did that, but the media likes to run with stories like that.
3: Well, and that's what I – I like, Eric, I definitely get your point. Like, uh, Aaron Rodgers does not come across as a guy that has a bunch of best friends. You know, he, he he keeps his circle small, um, you know, and all of that. But I also think he knows how to keep the parts of his life that matter the most away from the media. Yeah. Like, I, he knows how to play the game. And I think that was a moment of him just playing the game was like, Hey, I know this is gonna. This statement's gonna get headlines, but I also know I can hit up Devonta and say, "Hey, I was just having fun. Like, you know, I got love for you."
2: To 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 throw in another sports reference from this week, which I'm sure we'll mention in a little bit. But to me, this seems like a similar situation where you have two of the greatest that we're gonna see in the league, with a Rodgers and a Brady, two different styles of play, two different ways to get it done. One was a champion way more than the other. And maybe you could draw some of those same comparisons to a Wilt Chamberlain, Bill Russell, where for a long time, a lot of people considered Wilt the greatest and, you know, 100 points in a game, sleeping with a million different women and everything else. And every year, Bill Russell just kind of went out and won a championship. Heck, I won 11 of them mm. um, more than any other player. So, in any league. You realize yeah, that Yeah, no, I mean, him, him and Yogi are right up there. I think Yogi has 10 as a player, but uh yeah, he has 11 as a player, Russell. So I mean, you think about that. He he he, he the rings don't even fit on all his fingers. Like right. but they and you look at Brady. Brady's got seven of them. I think Chamberlain might have had two titles. Maybe double check me. I know he, I think he had at least one, but I th- he might have had two. Can fact check me on that, but Rodgers only got one title. As great as he is, and as great as everybody knows he can be, the man only has one title. Yeah. Go ahead.
3: I was just going to say, and if you actually look at the playoff games they lost, his stat line is not what we've seen during the regular season and during some MVP games. Like, it's not like Roger lights it up during the playoffs every year and his defense or his run game or turnovers by his teammates – what cost them the game Like sometimes He just doesn't Like Look at the game They played against San Francisco This past year In the playoffs Rod, Like yeah I get it It was cold I know it was snowing But You're Aaron Rodgers You've been playing In Green Bay For 12 years Like We expect you To be used to this shit
0: <laughs> Yeah like,
3: He even made A second Super Bowl Like He went to one He won one That was it
1: Yep Yep um, I do want to Move on here I I got cut off before when you guys were talking about the Jets. I want to throw one thing in there real quick, if that's okay with you guys. Dave, what you said originally that you thought Zach Wilson was in line for a significant jump off of last year, I tend to agree with you on that. I think everything that happened with him that was found out in the media was funny for everyone, but one of you guys said that it would be a galvanizing force in the locker room and everything, and I definitely agree with that. But I also think when you look at what the Jets have done the last couple years, they keep adding talent around him on both sides of the ball. I don't think they're going to compete for a playoff spot because the AFC is so deep. But I definitely think there's going to be a market improvement over what they've done the last couple seasons. And I could see six, seven wins out of them, which would be a stark contrast to what they've done the last three years.
3: Well, I think you look at the Jets just like some of the other teams that have pieces but can't seem to put them together like if you're a jets fan like you'll take six seven wins and have your you know 10 11 losses be one possession games yeah like yeah that sucks you don't want to lose those games but when you have such a young team those are learning experiences and you gotta you gotta experience that and go through that and learn from it become better from it and look the Jets could shit the bed just as likely as they could turn it around from last year. I mean, I am not, trust me, I'm not standing on top of a mountaintop screaming, you know, bet on the Jets this year, bet on Zach Wilson. But I think the kid has a lot of Brett Favre in him. And I think that, you know, the closest we've really seen to Favre since Favre is what we've seen out of Mahomes. Mm. And, and you know, that risky, that risk taker, the, the guy that, you know, pedaling off his back foot, still going to be able to chuck it 60, 70 yards. Uh, those change games and, and flip momentum. But it works both ways. You know, you nail that 65 yarder off your back foot for a touchdown. Man, you're swinging momentum and giving yourself your team a chance to win. But you throw a pick, you're losing that game. And that that's what they were last year he made some plays and and but for the most part a lot of the plays he made didn't work out and the biggest thing for players going into their second and third years is that the game slows down and i think that's going to help him drastically with his willingness to take risks and that falls on the coaching staff to teach him hey you really got to pick and choose these moments but i just i just think from some of the clips i've seen from training camp and Some of the pieces that they've added to that offensive line that the rookie running back that they drafted um, got that rookie wide receiver. They had last year going into his second year that that looked really good towards the end of the year. Um, I don't know. I I just think the Jets have the potential to to be more competitive. I think that's the best way to say they're going to I think they're going to be a more competitive team this year. I think Zach Wilson will cost them less games than he did last year, but he's still going to cost them games. You know, and again, we'll dive into all this when we get to the AFC East and and all that fun stuff. But, yeah, the fact that he was the highest betted on player to win the MVP this year is – that's pretty mind-blowing to me because I definitely wouldn't put money on him to win MVP. Mm.
1: Fair enough there. Do we have anything else football-wise we want to talk about before we move on?
2: Um – I don't know. Anything else big happen? I don't think so. Just training camp's getting going. No other big injuries yet, right? That Nothing. The only other,
0: uh,
3: the only football thing I had, I had no idea, but apparently this year on Hard Knocks, they're focusing on the Lions. Who the hell cares about that? I know I don't. <laughs> I don't know if either of you did, but that's really all I had to say. up. Don't give
1: a shit about them, to be honest. I, I don't watch Hard Knocks.
3: So, But like, I'm not trying to watch Jared Goff and like, (laughs) who else is on their team? That's a big name. So, yeah, I just saw that and I'm like, really, HBO went with the Lions like that was the only team they could get to agree to do this. Like, okay. my thing is that my guess or not my thing, my guess is that they were like, well, Detroit's at least a big market. That was my only guess, because the rest of it makes no sense to me. I like Dan mm. Campbell. Is think.
2: Detroit a big market, though? Not I lot. was I, I was
1: literally thinking the same thing, Eric.
3: I mean, I'm just saying, it, it, when it comes to major cities, like, yeah, they're below New York, they're below LA, they're below Chicago, they're below you know, New Orleans, they're below Miami, they're like, yeah, they're below a lot, but you know, Detroit's a bigger market than Houston. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, I'm just like, I, I just, I, I couldn't figure out why they would go with Detroit. And that was the only thing I could think of it was like, ah, Detroit's a decent sized market. Mm. I have yeah. no argument for either one of you. So if you're like, yo, no, Detroit is not a big market. I have no comeback. So just to save you guys the breath, like I have no comeback.
1: <laughs> um, I'm good either way. <laughs> I'm good either way.
3: So none of us will be watching.
1: No, no, I got no intention. All right. I think with that, we'll move on. Basketball-wise, Eric, you brought it up earlier, and I'm happy you did because I might have forgotten. Biggest thing that happened in basketball this week, uh, Bill Russell, NBA legend, considered one of the greatest players of all time, one of the most winning players in the history of the NBA, 11-time NBA champion, five-time NBA MVP, Bill Russell, died this week. Um, obviously none of us ever got the chance to see him play, but his place in NBA history is is stamped forever. The thing that I always stuck out to me about Bill Russell, there are so many players that we grew up watching and who are currently playing that considered Bill Russell to be a mentor. You always heard guys like Shaq. I saw a video of him and Kevin Garnett talking the fact that Bill Russell was always so involved in such a part of the NBA and was able to try to pass down knowledge he had to stars of the day, he's an irreplaceable figure in basketball history, and it's, it's a sad day for basketball when someone like him goes.
3: Well, believe it or not, one of his biggest quote-unquote students was Kobe Bryant. Mm. which actually drove a lot of Celtics fans insane. (laughs) Um, But Kobe Bryant was a huge, huge influence. Bill Russell was a huge, huge influence on Kobe Bryant. Um, I saw a video the other day where uh, it was during an All-Star game that him and Bill Russell were talking, and – Bill Russell told them, like, hey, like, one of my favorite parts about watching your game is that I, I can tell you, study your opponents and what their tendencies are. And, and, like, you know, going into the game ready to go up against the guys that are going to guard you because you learned what their tendencies were. So you were ready to attack them before they, like, yeah, they knew who you were but they didn't study you the way you studied them, even though they were looking up at you. And that's why they studied them. And Kobe looked at him and he said, you know why I do that? It's because I read your book. So Kobe got that from Bill Russell and that turned into something Bill Russell picked up on him from Um, the other thing to also recognize about Bill Russell was he was a huge, huge factor uh, during the civil rights movement. So, like, mm. we can talk about what he did during in his basketball career till the sun comes up. No issues, no problem, easily done. We can do it all day long. But it's so easy to forget about how much of an influence he had during the civil rights movement and, and progressing the rights and privileges of minorities. Um, like, he, he was huge on and off the court. And, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar himself, actually compared him and bill russell by saying that kareem was more of a a martin luther king while bill russell was more of a malcolm x so if you don't know what that comparison means you need to study up on your history because that's a huge comparison um and to have that come from a, a peer of his like kareem abdul-jabbar just speaks volumes and you know the nba world the world as a whole um is worse off with that, with having Bill Russell not here anymore. Eric? Oh, Eric. Oh, uh, Iconic. There you go. Uh, no, go hi. ahead. Eric, yep. I can
2: hear. Yeah, no, I mean, listen, iconic is, is the word you use for him. I, you know, the greatest comparison before. You know, flashy wasn't his thing. He was about winning. He went out, he was a machine. He led those Celtics teams to, you know, so many championships, but again, not just what he did on the court, but what he did off the court for, you know, all the different movements that he did. And, you know, listen, he was an influential figure and somebody that would be greatly missed in the basketball community. Um, easily one of the greatest players of all time. Listen, I know he's probably not in a lot of people's top tens, um, not, but listen, for me, he's in there just because of the sheer amount of wins. When you win like that, like, uh, you don't have to do it flashy. You didn't have to go out and score 100 points in a game. You didn't have to do that. You, you just went out and did what you had to do to win and did it more consistently than anybody. So, um, to me, he's always somebody somebody you should emulate yourself after um, because that, that type of attitude, that type of winning mentality um, – is what what it should be. So uh, it's it's a sad loss for the basketball community. Um, sad loss for sports in general. Because like I said, you know, 11 titles more than anybody. He he was the champion. You know, um, so it's you know hard to uh, never gonna be re- never gonna be replaced, and nobody will will never see another person like that in the NBA or really in any other sports that are. That like dominate, yeah. Like I, yeah. I just don't think we're gonna see another person win eleven games.
3: Well, did you know I mean? like six or seven as a player, and then the other five or four were as a player coach.
2: Yeah. Um. I. Yeah. I think it's something insane. like that.
3: Like that's insanity. Being the coach and playing. And still winning. I I mean, like, that's just nuts. Like, I'm telling you, if if you're Michael Jordan, the only player you wish that you wish you could have been like was Bill Russell. Hmm. There's no that's come before or after Michael that he wishes he could have reached those accomplishments other than Bill Russell. That's just insanity.
2: 11 races. It's the championships. You look at it, Brady's, you know, the closest we're probably going to see with seven. I mean, who else is going to win that many titles? Jordan won six. Brady's at seven. LeBron ain't never going to get there. You don't got to worry about him. I mean, you look at guys like Duncan and Kobe who got five. And the way we look at them, uh, you know, for him to win 11 I mean, just, I mean, it's, uh, you're never going to find another. He, he's one of a kind and uh, will always be talked about when it comes to basketball history. Right, you want to
1: talk about something like this is random. I want to throw this in. He's one of only two players to grab more than 50 rebounds in a game. The other one being Wilt Chamberlain. Who's grabbing 50 rebounds in a game anymore? that's ridiculous
2: I mean you look at it and you could say like oh people go Rodman the way Rodman used to rebound or you know a couple of Ben Wallace or you know whoever uh, was it Ben or Rasheed Wallace who's the uh, Ben Ben, and that's it so uh, you know but I mean maybe you look at some of those guys but I mean no nobody nobody did it like that like Wilt and like Bill Russell did back then and Russell just always seemed to get the better of Wilt especially when it came playoff time so uh phenomenal career phenomenal human being and uh for what we know about him anyway i mean listen i'm not gonna tell you sit here and tell you i know about his personal life but you know out what i've read and whatever else but you know from everything i know he was uh a really great guy and uh will be missed for a long long time
0: yeah
1: all right, I think with that, uh, did we have anything else basketball-wise we wanted to talk about tonight?
2: I would almost say if you wanted to throw one more thing out there, when it came to, like, a, say, Mount Rushmore basketball, he'd probably be on it. I got to say. Like, you, you think about it, You maybe you put Nate Smith up there as the founder. You probably got Bill Russell. You probably got Jordan. And maybe that fourth spot is really the only one. And maybe you would say then at that point, well, but I think there's a case for magic. I think there's a case for other people, but I don't think you can make a case for LeBron there. I'll be honest with you. I think there's a lot of people who make a better case than LeBron does. But uh, I think whatever, you know, top of the mountain where it starts with basketball names, Naismith, you know, Russell, and Jordan are right up there. And then you might even put Will, But I'm, I'm just saying, like, yo, that fourth spot is up for debate. But those three, I think, are the top of the heap.
3: I, I would agree with that. I would say, though, LeBron most likely would have to take that four spot. When his career is said and done, he's going to be the all-time leader in points. He's going to be top five all-time in assists. He's going to be top ten all-time in rebounds. He's going to be top ten all-time in career regular season wins. Like, I'm a LeBron hater. I, I will never deny that. I will never fight that. I I just – the way he handled his career, I didn't like. The way he bounced around to go get his championships, I didn't like. But when it comes down to statistically as an individual player, I just don't know when his career is said and done, how you can argue him not being one of the top four or five players ever.
2: I, I could argue it if, say – Steph Curry goes on to win two or three more. And Curry gets up to six rings. What are they at? Four down there with the Warriors or five? It's four. Four. Warriors. four. Now, right? yeah. He gets two more. He's in Jordan category when it comes to championships.
1: I mean, I don't know that you could just base it off a championship. Has, so. No, but I'm
2: just saying he's been there, what, five times, won four of them. LeBron's been there nine times and won four of them. Sure. I think, I, I, of, I think there's a bit of, of a difference. I'm sorry. And, and again, yeah, I'm not sitting here and hating on LeBron because again, he is an all time great player. I just think people give him too much credit because again, longevity, he's been phenomenal for a long time. It's no no doubt that he's setting the points record and setting all these other records. But listen, when it comes down to it, he didn't always win and he always tried to put himself in the best position to win, went and played with other stars, went and did everything else. And yet still at times couldn't get over the hump. Now I get it. It's a different sport than others, but at the same time, there's something to be said for that. And if I look at it, and at the end of his career, he's still sitting there with four championships and there's a Steph Curry out there who has say six or seven championships has maybe top five in points by the time it's all said and done, top five in assists by the time it's all said and done. Um, You know, maybe even up there in steals, who knows top 10 or something like that with seven titles, you're not going to argue that maybe Curry deserves to be there as the greatest shooter of all time. Because there's no denying he is the greatest pure shooter we have ever seen. And
0: to me, there's
2: a, to me, there's an argument to be made. If, when the careers are over, he has close to as many points as LeBron, or, you know, at least he's top five, if he's top five in assists, or up there in assists as well, and has more titles than him playing in the same era as him, I don't know how you don't look at it and say Steph Curry might have had the better career.
3: Uh, I Look, I I don't know if Tonight's the night to dive into this actual debate. But when I look at greatest of all time, the number one thing I say is: Can you could you have dominated the way you dominated in your generation in in any generation? Steph Curry would not. Steph Curry would. Steph Curry could
2: have shot from anywhere. Yeah, but there was a time where
1: there wasn't a three-point shot though.
2: Not only, but still, he could create shots. He was a create. He's a creator.
3: But. Steph Curry played in a league that did not allow hand-checking. Steph Curry would have been able to be guarded so much differently in the late 80s or, like, basically through the creation of basketball until about the mid-90s. Defensively, you could have played him so much more aggressive than you can now that it would have taken – not taken away – but it would have made it a lot more difficult for him to be able to take advantage of the best parts of his game compared to it is in today's league. LeBron James at 6'8", 6'9", 260 pounds, with his style of play, could have played in any generation of basketball and still been one of the best players in the league. I don't know if I can say that about Steph Curry. Uh, I don't think
0: you're
2: giving enough credit to where, you know, yes, he's smaller. Yes, maybe not as physical, but, I mean, there were smaller guys in the league before, guys like Isaiah Thomas and stuff. I mean, they weren't giant guys, you know. So, I mean, I, I I think Curry could have shot the lights out in any era. I think his accuracy, his ball handling skills, he, he is that good. He could have at any point created a shot anywhere on the court, inside or out. He could drive the lane. He doesn't just shoot threes, although that's what he's known for. He can drive it too. He's got a handle, and I think that handle would have translated in any era, and that's why I say that. Oh, Regardless of okay. the three-point shot, I think he okay. would have been a he would have been a number one player on any team.
1: I just think taking away the three-point shot eliminates a big weapon of his game, and I I agree with the hand-checking thing. It'd be interesting to see how a lot of these guys of today would have played in the 80s 90s when we all know it was a more physical game. I'm not saying they couldn't have done it. I'm just saying it would have been interesting to see how their games would have been affected by it. So I tend to lean a little more towards um, Dave's side on that one, truthfully. But anyway, I think with that, uh, Dave, I agree with you. This is definitely a discussion for another night. Uh, So we can move off of this here. Uh, Did we have anything else sports-wise we wanted to talk about tonight?
2: Um, Live Golf, I don't know if you guys saw it, came out last night actually in a Tucker Carlson interview with Greg Norman uh, mm. about the Live Golf. Uh, they went, he, Tucker Carlson did an interview because they had it at Trump's Bedminster Golf Course here in New Jersey this past weekend. And apparently it did come out that Jeff Norman says he wasn't the CEO of Live yet, but at the time, the people who were running Live offered. Tiger Woods between 700 and 800 million dollars to join Live. It was actually confirmed. Um, so I just thought that was interesting. That that actually is a now confirmed report by somebody in the organization there saying, yeah, he was offered between seven and 800 million, you know. And yeah, there just wasn't a deal to be made right now. Um,
3: That's crazy. So
2: that I just thought that was wild. I mean. I know that mu- I know you have a lot of money, but when you start hearing about like that kind of money, it's just like, just so stupid.
0: <laughs> just stupid.
3: Could you money. imagine turning that down? Like, look, I am not a guy that sits here and says, "Hey, I'm all for uh, supporting Saudi Arabia." Now that's obviously a whole other conversation, and well off the topics we covered, But either way. I don't give a fuck who offers me 700 to 800 million to play a game. Me saying no ain't happening. Outside of God himself coming down here and saying you can't do this, it ain't fucking happening. Are you fucking By the way, in- by the
2: way, the same sponsors that the, the PGA has that the PGA is all like you guys can't play and live and play here, blah blah blah. blah. Like, you know, y'all, you're Your ethics aren't, you know, what they should be. came out in that interview, Greg Norman said that the PGA each year collects billions of dollars from people who who I believe there are 27 sponsors the PGA has that spend a combined $40 billion in Saudi Arabia marketing their shit each year. So he's like, talk about hypocrisy that they're not calling up each one of those sponsors and saying we're dropping you as a sponsor because you also do business in saudi arabia you're only saying that for the people who want to defect and go play there and again it's not even like live and when you hear greg norman talk about it he goes we're not trying to take away from the pga we're trying to add to it we're trying to add other things to golf to gain more interest and get more people into it and having fun that's what it's about and the golfers that are there are still free to go play in the pgas that's why It's almost stupid to turn down the money because if you're Tiger Woods, and this is where I think the PGA would really have to have their hand forced because if Tiger Woods were to actually take that money and say, fine, Liv, I'll tell you what, you give me $1 billion and I'll come. But Liv doesn't say he can't play in the PGA. Is the PGA tour going to tell Tiger he can't play? So Tiger wanted to go play, say, play in a TPC Sawgrass or something where he likes to play and he's done well in other tournaments and whatever else. So here's a tournament out there for the PGA and he wanted to show up. Is the PGA really going to say no to Tiger Woods?
3: I can't imagine. Showing it up?
2: So that to me is where I think the straw finally breaks. If they could ever offer Tiger enough money to draw him in, I think that would be the straw that the PGA would say, no, unfortunately, okay, well, we're going to have to allow everybody to play in both now because, again, there's nothing in the Live contracts that says they can't play in PGA Tour events. All it's saying is is this isn't an exclusive deal they sign. There's no length of time they have to stay with Liv. Like, they just have to play in some events. Pick whatever event you want. I think, like, right now there's, like, 14 different events. Now, I think all your, like, they ask you to play in is, like, seven of them at least. So, I mean, it's really not that taxing. You can still play in a bulk of the PGA events where there are, four, I believe, 44 events in the PGA tournament, in a PGA tour, and there's like 14 in live. Like, you can't tell me that a deal or something can't happen there or can't be done. It can be. Like, but it's the PGA, and they have to budge on this. Eventually, they're going to have to because no. it's just not, not right.
3: So, I did learn this weekend that – the majors are actually sponsored by the USGA. Yeah, so they can still play in majors. They so get to, that, any of those guys can still play in the majors. Yeah, that's why they can still play in majors is because majors are sponsored by the USGA where the rest of it is sponsored by the PGA. Now, I didn't even know that those were two separate divisions of golf associations, but apparently they are. So that's why these players are allowed to still play in majors and then the PGA is already starting to cave and say, "Well, yeah, you know what? Like if you can play in our event, we want you to play in our event as well." But I saw also today on their their actual purses for tournaments. Like like so when they're actually playing a tournament, not the money they paid
2: yeah.
3: guys to come join, but the money that they can win playing in a tournament the PGA actually has a bigger purse than the lift. It's only by like $13 million total, but there is a bigger purse through the PGA. But like Eric, like you pointed out, you're talking a $13 million difference, but you're also talking what 30 more tournaments or around, or you know, uh, events. Yeah. So the average per tournament is lower, but the overall purse that can be won is actually higher with the pga compared to the live but the live i heard
2: today that the pga actually actually upped it too they're now up to like 428.6 million they're going to give out next year in tournament you know winnings
3: so yeah yeah they went they
2: went up even further this year
3: yeah it's not as different as people think it is it's that money they're playing just to come play general
2: yeah yeah it's monster money and that's why like if I'm Tiger I, I take that money I say give me a billion dollars I'll come play in a couple events and then still go play in the PGA Tour too and everybody wins like I I, I don't know to me like this is a story that's not going to go any, away anytime soon because I don't think that money from Live is going away anytime soon so you know those, those guys I think are in it for the long haul there and you know Like Greg Norman said, the other thing about live too, is they only have a specific amount of spots because like they only have, I think it's like 48 or whatever field each week. So there's there's no spots right now available. So he actually has a waiting list of people waiting to like, he goes every day on fielding calls from people, you know, waiting to get in.
3: Yeah. Like they, they start a four day tournament and everybody plays all four days Cause there's only like, like you said, 40 something spots where with the PGA, you have over a hundred. So they have to do a cut after Friday for the weekend. So like that, that's, that's a big difference between the two, but wouldn't you rather more guys going after it? So you can have that random amateur, maybe sneak in on the weekend and and make a run on Sunday. Like that makes it more exciting compared to just saying, Hey, I'm going to watch the same 44 guys over the next four days, play 18 holes of golf. On the same course and the same eighteen holes, you know, so like they do have that going for them on the PGA side, but it's just it's that that the quote unquote signing bonus that really kind of separates things for the live.
2: Well, that and it's a guaranteed money for even coming in dead last place. You're guaranteed one hundred twenty thousand. It's a guaranteed money. Like all you got to do is play in the event and you come to 48th place. You're going to make $120,000 for playing three rounds of golf.
3: God, I got better at golf.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't really know where to go from there on that one, but uh, yeah, I mean, as far as Tiger Woods turning it down he must really think that if he's going to continue his career he's only going to continue it as he, if he has a shot at Mickelson's record that's the only thing i can think of and it must be nice to be so set that you can turn down 7 or 800 million so it's about all i can add on that one there but i do hope at some point pga recognizes what's going on here and opens it up so that those guys can play both tournaments because I do think I thought since the beginning it's kind of cutting off your nose to spite your face on that one there. But anyway, with that, did we have anything else we wanted to throw in here tonight?
3: Um, I'm double checking Twitter right now to make sure I didn't miss anything, but I think we're mm. good. Or at least I think. Yeah, I'm- no,
2: I think I think sports wise we're pretty good. I mean, there really wasn't any hockey news. Um uh, I don't think there's anything tennis-wise. And yeah, so I mean, uh I don't think there's too much sports related. I mean, there's not even too much TV related to be honest. So yeah, I'm waiting. I'm Did- kind of getting a little hyped for the Andor show. I'm working on Star Wars and stuff like that. But the trailers have looked really good. It looks like a political intrigue, like political thriller. So I'm getting kind of a little excited to see that because I do like that part of like Star Wars. Um so I'm interested in that. I'm interested in She-Hulk. Uh it just seems like they're going to keep doing the Hulk dirty though. Every clip that comes out like it just seems like they're like I, I don't know. He's like soft Hulk. He he's not Hulk Hulk. He's like, you know, he's
3: Hulk Hulk, he's not, he's Hulk, Hulk Yeah, he cat, is. He's diet free, he's cold, he's Hulk zero. <laughs> yeah, caffeine free, sugar free, zero calories. Um, look, the only thing I just saw on Twitter, which was pretty cool since we mentioned mentioned him before, Bill Russell 21 and 0 in winner take all games, with ten of those twenty-one games being game sevens. So that, obviously yeah. that's not just NBA Finals. Greatness. Yeah, like that's just insane.
2: Mm-hmm. What's greatness right there, greatness personified.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The only thing I want to throw in tonight, I'm I'm interested in you guys' thoughts. So it came out earlier today. Warner Brothers in D.C. spent $90 million on a Batgirl movie that was supposed to be released to HBO Max that is about 90% completed. Warner Brothers is obviously in the process of being bought by Discovery, I believe it was. Discovery has no plans of releasing the Batgirl movie. And I am confused. I've never heard of a studio spending that much Dude, you're money. Gonna on... see him,
2: you're going to see it happen with another movie that is getting shelved and not talked about.
1: Well, that makes more sense than the Batgirl Two, movie does to me.
2: Two hundred million dollars on that movie. Dave, you know which movie we're talking about?
3: Absolutely no clue. Flash.
2: The Flash with Ezra no. Miller. has yeah. been, That was supposed to come out this year was now supposed to come out next year, and now it's just, they don't know when, it's just going to be out eventually at some point. But they spent $200 to make a Flash movie, and then after it was finished, and he finished filming it, he went and got batshit crazy in Hawaii, and they possibly kidnapped some underage girl, and I, I don't know, some weird shit going on with Ezra Miller, which is just, I mean, it defies logic, again. I just, I don't know what goes through people's heads, but... I, so, needless to say, WB before they sailed to Discovery to become Discover, you know, whatever they are now, HBO, Discovery, whatever, doesn't really matter. But um, can I, can I just say- They $200 million on that. So if they scrap that, they don't know what to do with it because you can't put it out with the, all the shit going on with Ezra Miller right now. And they have so much tied into that because that was supposed to be the end of Bat Black and bringing in Keaton's Bat, uh, Batman again. And that was supposed to play into Supergirl. And they were supposed to have a whole different set of storylines going on, which now they had to change around. And I don't know if you guys have seen the reports, but apparently Ben Affleck is now going to, was in the reshoots and is now going to be in Aquaman 2. Probably not a big role, but he is going to cameo in Aquaman 2. So it does seem that Batflack, based on all the Ezra Miller and other drama, it seems like Batflack's coming back and wants some more Bat in his life. So... I don't know what that does to Keaton's Batman. I don't know if this just sours Keaton completely, and he's just like, listen, I thought I was going to be on to something special here, but I'm getting older by the day, and I can't keep going on with this nonsense. Who knows what's going to go on with him? So I I don't know. There's a whole lot going on with DC right now that I'm I'm hoping starts to get straightened out. They do have some good projects coming up between Aquaman 2, Shazam, Black Adam, uh, you know, or well, Shazam 2, but, uh, Black Adam, like they have some good stuff coming up, but how it all ties in, if it all ties in, I just hope they're good standalone movies. That's all I really hope for. Just entertain me clowns. Like, am I going to, am I going to be entertained? If I'm going to be entertained, that's all I want. So I'm just hoping they hit that bar, hit that level. Um, but yeah, it, it's a mess with WB right now. And, and it I- does not surprise me at all to hear they may be scrapping 90 million. Is they may scrap the $200 million project in The Flash too and just go completely opposite direction.
1: Yeah, but to my way of thinking, it makes more sense for them to do that because of everything going on with Ezra Miller. The fact that you're scrapping a movie that is just about finished. This movie also had Michael Keaton in it as Batman. J.K. Simmons was coming back as Commissioner Gordon. Brandon Fraser as the main villain, apparently. For no other reason other than this movie was supposed to be put out on HBO Max, You want to shift the focus back to a theatrical release. seems to me it doesn't really make a lot of sense to scrap a movie that you already paid $90 million for. That one, you got everything going on with Ezra Miller. This one is just weird to me. What do you say, Dave?
3: Uh, Honestly, I think the whole DC thing is a mess, and we've talked about this before. They tried so hard to not do the same model as marvel <laughs> yet when it's if it ain't broke why fix it like just well speaking
2: of that putting back on my tinfoil hat real quick i brought this up to you guys a while ago and i'm holding even firmer now i'm planting some feet in the sand on this one because a while ago i had pitched back to you guys and they brought james gunn back that maybe they were going to go towards a James Gunverse, and maybe Feige would be done with the MCU and want to go play in a new sandbox. Now WB, the one thing, the one move WB has done that is a fantastic move for WB and should actually, it does excite me a little bit because he helped usher in the MCU. He helped with every project Disney had. And now he is a special advisor and a big part of what David Zaslov is doing with WB Discovery now, and that's Alan Horn. I don't know if you guys are familiar I saw with the that. name Alan Horn. But Alan Horn is now a big part of, D- of uh, DC. Well, D- Alan Horn also helped groom and shape Kevin Feige. Very close with Kevin Feige for a long time. Not out of the realm of possibility with James Gunn coming back with Alan Horn coming out of retirement to go to DC that maybe they say in order to really fix this, why not throw back the truck up to Feige's house and have him come play in a new sandbox? Cause he's not as happy under Chapek there with Disney. It's known they've kind of neutered him where he used to have total creative control to, 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 be able to say when movies were released, what, what, what will become a show? What will become a movie? He has none of that power anymore. Feige. That has all been given to JPEG's other people in power and has been stripped from Feige. So believe it or not, Feige's actually been stripped of a lot of the power, at least half of the power he used to have with Disney back when Bob Iger was running the show and and Alan Horn and is now a much neutered version of what he was before. So there may be a thing if they come in, they just go, Kevin, we're going to give you the reins. You do your thing him and Alan Horn could put something special together, could turn the DC around. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying don't be surprised if two, three years from now, that's what may happen. You know, I just, I know I'm going deep into the future here, but it's just a weird, wild thing that just stars seem to be aligning. Cosmic things seem to be aligning for certain things to happen. And I I think it starts with Alan Horn and now – well, it started with James Gunn, and now James Gunn is there, or uh, now Alan Horn's there. You know James Gunn's coming back to do more because his group project's wrapped up. I believe Guardians is pretty wrapped by now, and um, his Christmas special, I believe, is also wrapped outside of, like, VFX and stuff they're still working on. So he really doesn't have too much more there to button up with, with Disney before he moves on to D.C., and I'm excited for what he's going to bring to DC. So, and DC has been, listen, DC for me, Peacemaker was a, an awesome surprise. I enjoyed Suicide Squad. I've enjoyed a bunch of the things they've done. Has everything been the greatest? Not necessarily. I love the Whedon cut. No, I didn't. Uh, it loves certain things like, in Batman v. Superman. Absolutely not. Like Martha. Like, I think some things could have been done differently. But... uh <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying, like, you know, I, I think they could be having a good attempt here to write the ship finally. And I think that uh, moves like the back row, moves like maybe scrapping the flash, or I mean, it's so hard to do that, especially when you have $200 million already wrapped in a project. Because then you have to put marketing out for it and everything else. You're going to go deeper in the hole to put this movie out, and it may not make the money back. So I, I don't know what they're going to do, but all I know is the one positive that is with DC right now is they finally have the leadership in place that I would trust to be able to drive the ship. When you tell me that you have an Alan Horn, when you tell me you have James Gunn coming to do more projects, when you tell me these type of things, and then I see things like the rocketing involved and, you know, I, I enjoyed the first Shazam movie. I thought it was fun. I think I'll have fun with the second one from the trailers I, from the trailer I saw. You know, uh, I, I'm looking forward to Aquaman, too. I like the first one. So I mean, there are projects I'm looking forward to, and I think DC can write the ship, but I think the first thing you need to focus on is just making good movies. Start with that, and then everything else could come together, later.
1: I feel like we've been saying that for a while, though, and yeah, it's great that Alan Horn's hired as a consultant. How much power is he really going to have in his he's DC action? He's a, he's well, a, hang a, on, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm telling you, I'm how just, much power he has. But, the
2: only answers to David Zaslav. That's the only person But how I've much
1: heard. power does a consultant really have and what exactly he has for all more? the power? Do we know that though? You're going off yes. in an assumption. That, no, not, we're going. He's not we're going out
2: of retirement at 77 to have no power and just sit on the sidelines. That's not what he's being hired for. You don't he's know what he's hired- being
1: hired for, though. Consultants don't always. No. They're consultants. But, they're Mike, consultants. they Can I talk, please? Can I talk? You talked a little I bit there, you but I'd like. But I'd like to be promotion. able to talk. I'd like to be able to say my point here is all I'm saying. You're kind of just talking over me here. All he's I'm saying is I want is not relevant. How do he you know that? You don't, power don't power actually knowledge. know you don't actually right, know Eric, that he's hired Eric, as a consultant.
3: Mike, stop. Eric, let him talk. Let, let's, let, let's just let like cuz then you can go right off of it.
1: Yeah, and I'm saying Eric, I want you to be right here, but I again, I feel like we're saying the same thing we've been saying about DC for a very long time here. If the leaderships in place I don't really feel like we've seen anything concrete, though, to say that. Would it be nice if Alan Horn has enough power where the people in power would listen to him and back the truck up for Feige? Yeah, it would be great. Especially, I made my thoughts pretty clear about what I felt about the MCU last week. So I I want you to be right there, but I saw the same report, and I was just like, with DC, I need to see it before I'm convinced. You know what I'm saying? I
2: don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's different ownership. It's different leadership. It's always different leadership, though. Yeah, but this is somebody who knows. If you if you hear the reports about Zaslav, he's not a guy that just comes in and flies by the seat of his pants and thinks he knows more than everybody else. He actually takes advice. He brings people in. He tries to hire the right people. And he's not just going to bring in a guy like Alan Horn and then not listen to what he has to say. Alan Horn was in retirement. He had zero. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. He had zero reason to do this. Other than wanting to do it. So Zaslav would have had to have given him either enough power or enough say to make it worth it for him to come back at the age of 77 and still want to do this. So that's what I'm saying is where you have to think about it of what kind of power does he have or whatever else. You got a lot more than you think because if anybody has Zaslav's ear, it's Alan Horn. In, the, in theory,
1: I, I mean, I'd like you to be right, but when I hear "consultant," I'm just thinking, okay, you could just be paying again, him to a do a Zoom program. room on. You're
2: to seven to be your president, Become, but you don't know he's that, that, that he's actually like just,
1: leaving his house to do stuff, though. Consultant much. could mean a lot of different things. Go ahead. I know,
2: but what I'm saying is, is he's been hired, and I believe this is what I believe, and then you can say whatever you want, but I think he's been hired because he's only gonna be there for two, three, four years. I don't think this is a permanent position for him. I think this is something where he's coming in to help Zaslav right the ship, to help Zaslav bring in the right people to set this off on the right course. That's what he's being brought in for. He's being brought in to be the consultant, to be the guy to tell him who to hire and fire
1: hello oh, Eric went he, a little pixelated he, he, there you
2: the got to tell him what, because Zazzle is coming from an industry way and I'm just saying he, he, he he's a smart man and I think he knows what he's doing I don't think he's hiring horn just to hire horn I think he, he's doing it because horn is going to put the people in place to write the ship for 10 12 years down the road. That's why it's a consultant job. That's why it's not a president's job or, you know, uh, the CEO job or anything like that. Because, again, it's not it's just a position because Zaslav realizes that he needs the help. He ha- there's he doesn't have the knowledge he needs in order to be able to do the job right. He needs to bring somebody in with the knowledge to teach him what he needs to know. And I think that's what he's doing here with Alan Horn.
1: Let's see some proof in the pudding, though, before I jump on that. I want your theory to be the right. I think the proof is starting, with
2: strapping movies like Batgirl and strapping or, or figuring out what to do with The Flash. I think these are big reasons on why he was brought in because I think a lot of money was spent with the old regime and they didn't get a lot back for it. So I think he's trying to figure out ways to make it better. And I think we're all for that.
1: I don't know that that Batgirl one feeds into the point, though, but I get the point you're making. Dave, what do you say? What's the point of
2: a Batgirl movie, though, right now? To be honest with you, there's no world. There's no continuous world where a, a Batgirl movie fits into so, like, what was the whole purpose behind That's what I mean. Is like, You already you spent $90 DC's million
0: on
1: it, though. So why would you just scrap it when there was already mo- money in there? You're not going to be able to recoup anything by just by just scrapping it, at least if so, you put it out on some form. Because
2: you're going to have to market it. You're going to have to do other stuff to it. So, You I mean, don't have so to go, go
1: overboard do? with the marketing if you don't believe in it. As an X-Men fan, trust me on that one. If you don't believe it's in something, you don't put millions. all the marketing. But you already spent $90 million on it.
2: So now you're going to throw good money after bad?
1: As opposed to just writing the money off entirely? At least if you do that, you can recoup something from it. Dave, what do you say?
3: I mean, I think a lot of what I'm going to say, not a lot, because what I'm going to say is very simple. It won't surprise you with what I'm going to say. Okay. I've told you guys constantly, until Marvel and Kevin Feige truly let me down, I'm going to trust them. It's the same exact thing with DC, but the exact opposite. Until they give me a reason to trust them, I don't trust them. Yeah. And it, and that's really all it boils down to. Eric, I'm with you. I enjoyed the first Shazam movie. I enjoyed the first Aquaman movie. I'm looking forward to both sequels. I enjoyed... Uh, the trailer for Shazam, I also have a big man crush on The Rock. I've never denied that, so I'm obviously going to see that. But I genuinely enjoyed Wonder Woman. And then the second Wonder Woman movie to me was horrible. I've seen it once and refu- and just basically have no interest in watching it again. So can you follow up Shazam? Can you follow up Aquaman and give me a good sequel? doesn't have to be as good as the first. Let's be honest. I mean, you look at the three Iron Man movies, they got worse as you went through them. Iron Man 1 was my favorite out of the three. I just think it really boils down for me is that simple. I trust Marvel until they let me down. I don't trust DC until they give me a reason to trust them. And that's how it boils down for me. But I hope, Eric, I hope to God you're right. I genuinely do. I hope to God you're right. Because when it's all said and done... I, if you put character against character and add up the rosters of DC versus Marvel, I think in a seven game series, I'm going DC. Hmm. But that's off of everything I've, I've watched. Not just movies, but more importantly, the things I grew up with as a kid. And like, that's when you really get sucked into this world is when you're a kid and DC with Batman and Superman and, and like, but, I, I mean, I watched the, the DC shows on uh, CW. And, like, the arrow for the first four or five seasons was awesome. And then it just got bad. The Flash this last season, I was like, please tell me this is it. And they just announced today they're only going to do one more season. And my first reaction was, thank God I am done with this series. It's just gotten worse. Like, I just, until DC gives me a reason to trust them, Anything. You don't watch
2: Riverdale, do you? I heard that show is just going off the rails too. I don't watch it, but I just yeah, I've heard some things about it.
3: Never even seen an episode. Um, but like that—that's the thing for me is like Marvel, they yeah. get they got get a, a lot of extra rope. You know what I mean? Like I'm going to give them leeway to make some mistakes and have some bad movies, bad series, and still trust them. DC they're going to have to put out a handful of good movies or good TV shows for me to start trusting them. It's like a freaking relationship. Yeah. I mean, if you really boil it down, it's like when you're dating somebody, like you screw me over once, all right, I'll give you a chance. Things go really good. I'm going to trust you even more. If things are going bad, I'm going to trust you less and less very quickly. Um, and then I just saw cousin David uh, put in the chat, if the boys is part of DC, I don't think they are. I think they're their own. No,
2: I don't think they are. I think they're their own.
3: Yeah. I think they're their own, but I love the boys. I think the boys is freaking awesome.
2: Great show. Very good show. Mike, you watch the boys.
1: I, uh, I, at some point I'm going to get Amazon prime back. I just have not done it yet. I saw a clip. Um, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about here. Uh, Homelander meets blind spot. You guys there, know what I'm
3: talking? Huh? There's no blind spot.
1: Who was the character that was blind and had heightened sentence? So uh heightened senses. Black, so, Black noir What was it?
3: Black Noir.
1: Is that the one that Homelander boxed his ears and then watched him bleed out and started yelling at his publicist?
3: That sounds about right.
1: Yeah, that's the clip
2: I watched.
3: Yeah. Now, the, yeah, it's the, pretty brutal, the, but it's a good show. I mean, to me, the boys is what the world would be like if we actually had superheroes. Yeah. Uh, I think that, pretty that's close. I think. Yeah. It's, yeah, like, it's the think, most
2: accurate description,
3: probably. Yeah. Mm. like I think that's my favorite part of the show is that, like, you watch that show and you're like, yeah, if we had superheroes, they would become corporate eyes. They would become part of promotions and lunch boxes and TV shows and movies and. We would all glorify them. Meanwhile, you know, behind the scenes, kind of like the NFL, you know, Mm. they try to put this great picture in front of you that you can see, but behind the scenes, they're doing a lot of shady, fucked up stuff.
2: So it's kind of like the Rocky franchise.
0: (laughs) There you go. You
3: guys
2: hear about this story? Uh, before you go off on
1: that, I just want to clarify here because I'm looking this up right now. It was originally published by Wildstorm, which is a DC Comics offshoot. It was canceled after the first volume. Revived by Dynamite Entertainment, published the following eight volumes. Uh, it was in the fourth volume. It was revealed to be set in the same fictional universe as creator Gar- Garth Ennis's previous DC Vertigo series, Preacher. And there were characters who I guess were in both. So I guess it is DC, but it's not DC. I'm sorry, Eric, go ahead.
3: Oh, wait, really yeah. quick. Because guys, I, I actually have to wrap. I got I, I got something else I got to go do. So really quick. A, there's an animated version of the boys on Amazon Prime as well. They're like 20 minute shorts and they're priceless. I've only <laughs> watched like three or four, but they are priceless. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say was that in regards to, um, you mentioned She-Hulk before. I saw this argument that a lot of people on Reddit are upset that apparently She-Hulk is going to be the first MCU character to break the fourth wall and not Deadpool. And- well, no, but
2: that's, that's bullshit because she was actually the first to break the fourth wall in the comics. She broke the fourth wall in like the early 80s, if not, I think 1980. She was the first one to do it. So anybody who's upset about that doesn't doesn't know that. So I believe you guys can fact check me on that, but I'm almost positive She Hulk was the first to break the fourth wall in the comics.
3: That's well, what I that's what I saw in the arguments, but I just didn't know how you guys felt because from the movie world, I'm fine world, with it. Yeah, yeah. From the world, I would have rather seen Deadpool break it, but like I saw that as a possible reality, and I was like, yeah. I think I'm cool with that.
1: Mm-hmm. And Deadpool didn't uh, debut until either 91 or 93 and didn't become the Deadpool that everybody knows until, like, late 90s, early 2000s anyway, so. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, I mean, yeah, I think that that's people just being, you know. Listen, I think some comedy about breaking the fourth wall between her and Reynolds and, like, her breaking it and then Reynolds going, wait a second, you could do that too? The fuck? Like, you know, I think that'd be hysterical. Like, that'd be pretty cool, yeah. Funny- yeah, you get some funny stuff. But Dave, before you run, did you hear any about the the drama with Rocky and what's going on there?
3: I heard about something about a a, a Dolph spin uh, spinoff, and Rocky's like pissed as hell about, or Sylvester Stallone is pissed. Apparently,
2: as hell. yeah, they were gonna do a Drago spinoff with Drago and his son, be based off of the Last Creed movie, kind of a spinoff of the Last Creed, but uh. What happened was, I guess, apparently they are not, like, they didn't consult Stallone about it at all and just, like, went and did it. And that pissed Rocky off because, you know, Stallone's like, well, wait a second, I gave Drago his start, I did this, I did that, you know, why wouldn't he at least tell me about it? And then what came out, I believe it was today or yesterday, where Dolph Lundgren came out and said, listen, there's no deal done, and I, I, you know, like, I'm telling you, like, I didn't, I wasn't trying to do anything behind your back. I'm really sorry that things came out like this. Like, I was not trying to do anything behind your back.
0: Like, this, oh, that, and no, the no. no
3: thing. Yep, yep. No, Eric, I, I believe his exact quote was, I wouldn't do anything related to the Rocky franchise without the support of my friend Sylvester Stallone. Mm-hmm. I, I almost think that was, like, his exact quote was, like, look, I would not do anything related to the Rocky franchise without the support of Stallone. Mm-hmm. And like that just shows you how good of friends they are, and I also think that shows you how much he knows. He's where he. Stallone he's at. lit him
2: up on Twitter, and like uh, on on like social media, Stallone lit him up, going, you know, you know, some friend, blah blah blah. And I'm like, holy shit! But yep. yeah, that's why I was like, yeah, and uh, I guess he has some rights issues with the. I don't know. I thought he owned the Rocky franchise. So this is kind of new. If to I me may. broke the other day. Go ahead, Mike.
1: Yeah, because that's the bigger story at play here. And it's it's been floated in and out for like the last decade. Stallone has no ownership, unfortunately, of the Rocky franchise. The Winklers and Irvin Winkler, I believe, was the original producer on the movie, along with uh, another fellow who Stallone does like. But unfortunately, he passed away in 2015, I believe. I don't know exactly how it happened, but for Stallone to star in the movie and direct, uh, excuse me, write the movie and everything and have his vision come to the screen, basically they made in the contracts the trade that you're going to star and you're going to, you know, we'll use your script, but you have no ownership of the franchise. And it's been that way through the duration of the franchise. It's become a bigger and bigger story throughout the years. I know that's where Stallone's comments were originally directed because I think the son of Irvin Winkler put out an autobiography. So Stallone slammed that. He was uh, the son of Irvin Winkler, I believe, was a producer on all the Creed movies. The Creed movie coming out in November is the first one with no involvement from Stallone. And then this whole thing with Drago started. But that's the bigger issue. He has no rights to the franchise that without him wouldn't exist in the first place.
2: Cousin David threw in that apparently, look, from a Google search, it looks like MGM wants the rights to Rocky.
1: Yeah, Yeah, and Winkler and his family have been the ones profiting off of that in in addition to MGM. And Stallone's taking a lot of shots at them talking about, you know, there's plenty of money to go around. It would be nice to have something to leave to my kids instead of just those guys. I got to be honest,
2: though, a little bit of those cries, yes. I think Stallone has an attachment to this Rocky franchise, no doubt about it. But at the same time, I think Stallone's kids and his kids' kids are going to be just fine. (laughs)
0: yeah
1: yeah and cousin david's putting in he shouldn't have sold the rights i just wonder how the contract was worded and obviously you're talking about a 1975 sylvester stallone a lot younger let's be honest when we're younger we don't know the things we probably should know in situations like this so it's it's like the whole thing with dave chappelle not having the rights to chappelle's show until he made it public a couple years ago when they put it on Netflix and HBO Max. You know what I mean? So it's easy to say, but you don't know the whole situation. And you never know what you don't know. What do you uh, uh, I do say?
3: I don't mean to be rude, but I do have to hop. Um, but when it's all said and done, if any Rocky-related movie comes out and it's not some way somehow supported by Sylvester Stallone, I'm gonna be a little upset about it, but I'll probably yep. still watch it. I, I don't
1: know about a Drago spinoff in the first place. When I heard about it,
3: I was kind of, I was kind of like, eh, I
1: think that's a little much. But anyway, Dave, Dave Hastings is always a pleasure, my friend. Do you have any last words?
3: Uh, I do, but they're specifically for Eric. Eric, I wanted to let you know that Nessie Costa said what's up.
2: Oh, nice. Tell her what's up.
3: Hi. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> So was, it,
2: uh, was she listening to me yelling like crazy before?
3: No, no, she like she literally walked got walked in the door like as soon as I said, to "You guys, all right, I got to wrap up" because I didn't want her just sitting here listening to us ramble about bullshit. Um, mm, she uh, doesn't mind uh, though. I will say that she does not mind at all. But I figured as a good host, the least I can do is hop off. So, um, but uh, I had to throw that out, Mike. I hope one day you get the chance to meet Nessie. I'll say that. Um, cool. She, literally my sister. I love her to death. So, um, was she at
1: Eric's, was she at Eric's wedding? No, she was not. Okay. No, they, but okay. She
2: is an awesome person. I will back Dave up on that. She is a fantastic person.
1: Oh, well, I listen, I hope one day to meet a lot of guys, you guys hold in high regard. So obviously I'd be, I'd be cool with that. Okay. I had no problem. Not like I do anything anyway. So,
3: uh eric you made her blush with that statement so well done um but gents i'll catch you all next week uh always stay sweaty my friend i'll I'll do my best i promise you that i mean it is still 90 degrees out at uh 9 (laughs) 30 but yeah you guys guys be easy and i'll catch you all next week
1: sounds good Mm -hmm. all right dave have a good one i'm gonna be honest I think this is as good a time as any to wrap up the show anyway, because Lord knows we can go go on for another three hours here. Uh, So I do think that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you to everybody for listening to us on all our various podcasting outlets, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Anchor, Bullhorn. Always thank you guys for listening to us. Let's do some final thoughts here. Eric Tressler.
2: As always, my friend, stay sweaty. And uh, until next week, uh, we're doing all right still.
1: <laughs> Hopefully, I can say the same thing uh, next week for the Mets. So, but glad you guys are doing all right, I suppose. <laughs> you guys all are right. doing
2: just fine. You're what five games back of us still? Well, listen, I pace you're doing just fine.
1: Listen, I think we have a good roster. Unfortunately, we lost the golden opportunity to get better, so we still have the same holes. That we did yesterday, and it just bothers me because everybody else seems to have gotten better. And oh yeah, the Mets are losing five to one in the seventh inning right now to the Washington Nationals. DeGrom did pitch well in his first start back. But uh, yeah, so we'll just see how this weekend goes. But anyway, always a pleasure, Eric. You stay sweaty to my friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, once as always, thank you everybody for listening. I am Mike Aglialoro. We will see y'all next week.